Season 2. Hello. Episode 200. That's what this one is called. This is, well, I, no, it's not what it's going to be called. I don't know what it's going to be called. It depends on what amazing things you say, Joe. Oh, okay. But that's, that's it. Uh, you know, it has like a name. It has a number. And its number is 200. That's right. Every episode has a serial number for identification purposes only. Mm. Only. Oh, yeah. You can't use it for any other purpose. I think it's illegal. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Uh, uh, well, so, some laws are really hard to enforce. Season two is off to a, you know, a fast start. Um, <laughs> clearly, we've changed things up. It's a totally different show from here, Joe. Yeah. Ooh. Totally different show. This is the, new I'm horizon. getting windburn from how fast we're moving here. This is, this is amazing. Yeah, we got um, the same equipment. <laughs> the same same limitations <laughs> we really should upgrade this equipment don't you think um sure why not it's just it's annoying having to get all the Let's levels just right and then you know even if you do it doesn't sound great but you know what are you gonna do i think it sounds quite good but you've always been a skeptic in that regard yeah i mean it it sounds as good as it can given the constraints but um so this is this is really on brand for us kicking season two off with the uh, technical complaints yep um, I have no health corner to share with you today. Oh, you don't? I don't. I'm sorry to say. Have oh, we got Darcy going? I can fabricate or malinger in some fashion <laughs> in order to create a health corner opportunity, but... That, that's delightful that you have no health corner issues. I said today. I mean, I, you know, if you wait, I'm sure that as the sun rises in the east, my health problems will rise again. No, but there's no reason to think about those yet. Yeah. I mean, there is only now, Joe. So, is Darcy excited because someone has arrived here that will be walking through here shortly? Yeah, I think my son has just driven up. Oh. What will he make of our recording here in this? I've already, he already knows. He already oh. knows that we're recording. Okay. So, given that we're centrally located in World Headquarters. You know what they say, content is king. And, boy, this is... <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault. We're off to a rollicking start. Well, let's say something you like better then, dude. I, I, I don't know. Um, or, or instead, just complain. Boy, this could, that could be the theme. There, I think every season needs a theme. Ah, and the season, the theme the, this season is just complain. The theme of season zero was, how are we going to do this thing? Let's talk about some stuff. Yeah. The theme of season one was, I think, more guest-focused than season zero. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it was, let's continue talking about stuff. Right. And now the theme of season two, I think we should have no guests. Okay. No, maybe we should have some guests, but... Whatever. I Clearly, we've planned this out. This, we've planned this out like the like the uh, Game of Thrones writers' room, <laughs> where we have all the seasons mapped out in grand arcs and mini arcs, and it all fits together. Yes, you know. So don't. I, I think I distracted from that, that from that undeniable fact. Yeah, with we, my we we jokes. planned it better than they did. I think oh, we're not going <laughs> to. <laughs> so it's uh, summertime fun time. It is. But I, I am not Monty Balmonte. And it's been <laughs> nice, nice, Paul. And we have been off for a couple of weeks. Yes. And it's showing. Yes. So gotta, what do you want to talk about today? We've got to get that wire brush. Yeah, I know. What do you, what do you get want Get at to, this rust here. I want to talk about the census case. You did mention that. In, that in a little bit. talk about that. I know we had some, some listener feedback we could chat about. Sure, sure. We could talk about the work that we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not interested in doing that. Yeah, I'm interested in talking about the work you're doing. I'm not interested really in really talking about the work I'm doing. Really? Not right now. 
No, I, I mean, really, as in you're really interested in talking about the work that I'm doing? Sure. It's, it's shocking to me. Why is that shocking? I'm always surprising. interested in the work you're doing. Yeah, maybe. It's always much more interesting than the work I'm doing. That's certainly not true. But, um, so why don't we, why don't you, you got some feedback queued up over there? Oh, shoot. I didn't realize I was supposed to have it queued up. Well, do you want to talk about it? Well, I think it's, it's really only the listener Mason email that we need to talk about immediately. Oh. Because it seems very So we should let the other feedback build up in the mailbag. I know there was one from um, someone who had written an article that we talked about a long time ago now, and and they're keeping that article up to date. We'll, we'll, we'll put that, because there are going to be no show notes for this one. That's how we're starting off season two. Okay. <laughs> we're just shipping it right out. So so we'll keep that and any other feedback in the mailbag. But what do you want to say about the listener Mason feedback, which I thought was just delightful? It, it was delightful. It was heartfelt. It was impassioned. It mm. was a plea to, uh, to continue, to urge us on to uh, higher heights, until, like Icarus, we melt and die. Well, you know, in movies they say, show it, don't say it. Isn't that what they do? Isn't that what they say? Well, I don't know. Yeah, you, you know, instead of, like, having, like, a voiceover and everything, like, oh, show Oh, you can just on. show the action. Yeah, so, yeah, and so maybe the podcast equivalent is, like, you know, read it, don't describe it. But this email was uh, was lengthy with footnotes. Yes, it was. The footnotes were delightful because, of course, I'm as a fan of all things legal, I really have warmed to the footnote over really? the years. Really? All things legal? Well, many things legal. Okay. I, I, I have an unabashed affection for the footnote. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. I, I myself have included letters. Uh, I have myself included footnotes in letters I have written. So that, that really, I took a shine to that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. But generally it was uh, it, in the uh, form of a, of an apology uh, it was, uh, it was, <laughs> there, no, obviously no apology was needed. Correct. And so we can say it was in more, in more classically in the form of an apologia. <laughs> uh, usually when I get an, I'm sorry, it's in the following form. I'm sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> right. Or I'm sorry that you, <laughs> right, right. Right. Rarely, rarely a heartfelt apology. Yeah. And this, this was, um, this was a, tongue-in-cheek but at the same time heartfelt apology because listener mason of course i think we uh, our mailbag episode was what a couple weeks ago was it before that i, I can't remember it's summertime fun time things yeah. are just happening um and, it was and, within the last 12 months and and he had suggested um that maybe maybe episode 200 should be the end yeah it was time to call it quits maybe he turn the maybe. lights out on yeah. oral argument perhaps <laughs> consider it contemplate it I, which is it frankly uh, this is one of the many many reasons why no apology was needed uh, it's it's always healthy to reflect on things like that. So whether he meant it, it with with deadly seriousness or meant it uh, as a jest, a jape, or otherwise jocular remark, uh, Ooh, lots it's of all good. Lots of J's there. Yeah, it, uh, uh, it's good to reflect on what you do. And mm-hmm. and as wonderful as a thing was in the past, is it good, right, and proper that it should be part of the future? These are questions a thoughtful person, a reflective person, will entertain. I think that's right. So you know bravo and kudos for raising the issue uh jury's out <laughs> here we are at the start of season what is it again 18 no, no two season two um and you know we're we're rolling along we are well i we're it's at least recording um, that, that's all i, I mean. would say too that 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 um listener mason absolved us of any responsibility um, for any disappointment he may feel as a result of pursuing a law degree. 
Because I, yes. I think last time when we read the feedback, of course, he said, you know, having listened to the show and he was really interested in what we did and was thanking us and but um, and and being excited about pursuing a law degree, which he's yeah. about to do. And that made you uncomfortable, if I recall, Jim. Well, it, it somehow we, we somehow grazed the suggestion. It's undoubtedly something you had said, some errant remark um, <laughs> of yours that was not really to the point and certainly Our- and certainly not helpful. <laughs> um, that that we were somehow the cause of his going to law school. I didn't. I'm sure I didn't say that. And I found that I found it alarming to contemplate that a listener might, by listening to what we were doing, reach the conclusion that they should go to law school. I think that's as as listener Mason explained. You know, that's a thing you talk about with your friends and people you trust and people you know well and who know and who know you well and we are unfriendly and untrustworthy and is that we what you're are saying? yes we're we're both uh in uh, addition to making remarks which are errant <laughs> and riddled with error <laughs> yeah we we it, it is difficult to imagine um with the possible exception of everyone at the highest levels of the current executive branch of the united states who might be worse positioned to advise somebody on, oh, on whether or not to go to law school. Than us? That we don't know personally, right? Oh. If we don't know you personally, how could we possibly advise you well? How, yeah, how good? Well, so I, I think in, in all seriousness, what, what you, I don't know if you took issue with it, but what, you, what concerns you is that just because you like the show doesn't necessarily mean that this, this sort of career is, and all the many careers that are possible in law, that any of those is a good fit. Yeah, those are totally different things. Like I, you know, I know how much I enjoy a range of podcasts that are made by people who do all sorts of things. And I don't think any of those enjoyments would be a sound basis for my stopping what I'm doing now and going doing that other thing instead. Oh, now that you mention it, I'm thinking of the podcasts that I have in other fields from philosophy to religion to astronomy and space travel. And yeah, I think I actually, you're causing a moment of crisis for me, Joe. I can't pursue all, all all of those careers, but maybe one uh, of them. There's another reason why it's not a good idea to because you can't do everything. It's uh, I, I here's what I'm eschewing and abjuring: Ooh. Uh, podcast determinism. Ah, so the fact that you're a fan of a podcast is does not deterministically dictate that you should drop what you're doing and go do what they do. Um, this harkens back to a conversation we were having a while ago. But I, um, what, what do you mean by that? I don't know how to say it any other way. I hope that you do, because the way that you just said it was very confusing. By podcast determinism, you're, you're, you're making a bit of a funny there, right? Uh, a bit. A slight mm-hmm. one. Being no joke is altogether untrue. You're using it in the sense that one, one should not resolve on the basis of enjoying a show to do a thing. In other words, because you enjoy a show does not necessarily mean that you'll enjoy the the pursuits which form the underlying subject matter of the show right not least because making an enjoyable show about x is not in fact the practice of x unless right. the thing you're making a show about is the making of shows mm. that is the one instance in which uh there is an identity there right but enjoying or, a show about law isn't it, 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 it is made by people who are not actually in that moment engaged in law they're engaged in making a show I don't. Ooh, this is the, these are deep questions. So c- clearly, the recording of an oral argument is the recording of people in the act of, of making of making uh, of making law of making law noises with their mouths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although if if it really is about 
law, that phrase oral argument is a reference to a a practice of oral advocacy in courtrooms or similar settings, and we're not doing that. No, but look, I, I take it as a given that when we do shows on topics of law that they translate directly and and um and and nearly immediately to results in real cases oh cool i take it as given that a really great phrase is i take it as given <laughs> i love it yeah so you don't think so you don't, you don't think from, from from our mouths to judges ears everywhere and legislators ears everywhere you think probably you think probably not yeah it, it would appear not I mean, I, I think we've been at this long enough that we would have seen some actual effects in the world of that that would readily link our I, I think, utterances to other people. I, I think I agree with you. I think because lawmaking at the, acts at the very least, we would have seen our many episodes at least cited rather than slighted mm, by that ooh, recent speed trap opinion. Ooh, cite me, don't slight me, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cite me, don't slight me. That could be an episode title. I mean, if you're a judge writing a speed trap opinion and you don't cite the early, you know, season zero episodes of the show, it, it feels like a hostile act, doesn't it? Well, I'm not sure. Because you'd go have to that, go out of your way. I'm I not think. sure I would go that far. I, it's, it, it's at the very least, it reflects bad staff work. Because <laughs> that's, that's something that your, your, your minions should really be putting in front of you. I think for season two, we need another area because speed traps alone are not enough. I mean, we are the self-proclaimed leading world podcast authority on right. speed trap law. What about space law? I, I saw an item today suggesting that the treaty governing um, uh, events in space beyond the earth is actually, in t- that treaty is sort of woefully underspecified. It according, is. According yeah. to the person writing this little thing I saw. So let's do that. I mean, talk about talk about an open field. Talk about open territory, both both literally and conceptually. Well, that's a field I'm actually interested in. That that's I might, what I'm saying. So it'd be might, great. Yeah, what's but space law. That seems to be against the spirit of our speed trap law, <laughs> <laughs> which is it has to be a field in which we have no particular interest or expertise, but we okay. quickly develop into the world's leading podcast authority. Well, whereas this would be an actual area of interest on which I might write something. So. Okay, so so I say, you know, let's try something different. Okay, I, I mean, again, if if the theory is <laughs> we have not been we have not been as powerful a transmission belt from speech into reality mm-hmm. as we would like to be. Maybe in space law, we could make that happen. Maybe we could make fetch happen. The definition of our podcast is trying the same thing and expecting a different result. Oh, okay. That is... Got it. <laughs> I'm just going to... Hold on just a second. I need to take my Thorazine. Just this... oh, Clearly, boy. I'm in an institution of oh, some boy. kind. Um, are, you, are you having fun so far in season two? I just want to check in. Yeah, this is going to be a new feature. I love it. Like, it's so great. Like midway through the conversation, I'll check in occasionally. I love it. I, I'm enjoying it tremendously. At, at some point, I do think I will need a sip of water. But but I'm I'm good for at least another hour okay. before I need a sip of I think of we water. should inject these meta show elements throughout season two episodes. So sure, we'll be operating sure. at kind of two levels. There's the show, and then there's the meta show. And the meta show is part of the show because it's all in the show. Nice. You know That's what I mean? nice. Yeah. Um, I feel like Scott Shapiro should somehow be involved in that observation about meta. Didn't we talk to him about meta things, Scott Shapiro? Well, we were going to. No, we did. <laughs> I think we did. Yeah, but he, he was game to talk, and we just talked about all kinds of stuff. Oh, we, did we talk about other things instead? Mostly. We talked briefly about briefly. meta and then meta meta. 
And then we got it was, tied it back. It was the metanormative stuff. His yeah, paper metanormative with, yeah. and the metanormative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <gasps> it's all uh, coming back It was to a me. really good paper, but most of the conversation was about other stuff, like being a jackass on Twitter and stuff like that. Well, they might. those must have been more important in the moment. I, I, I make no judgment. It's just, it's what happened. That's, okay. You know, I observed that that's what happened when we were doing the show. Got it. Uh, okay, so next next topic. What do you have? No, I, have we finished the email yet? I think, I think so, we have for now. So it was, a, it was a beautiful email with lots of funny stuff in it. And right. uh, you love the footnotes. And uh, no apology was obviously needed. Of course not. Like, like, if you wanna, like if you're a longtime listener and you want to email us and say, hey, the show's been sucking lately. Yeah, here's here are ways you could make it better. Or the show's been terrible lately. Here's here are all the reasons why I think it's doomed to fail utterly and forever. I mean, whatever you want to share, you share it with us. We'll read it. We'll think about it. We might have a lot of listeners who 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 got hooked in our season one run where we had many high quality guests who, you know, every time we have a guest, it kind of ups the quality of the show. Mm, that's true. And and people listen for that reason and are now thinking, Oh yeah, this is the part I skip past. <laughs> right and then is, they get to the end and they're like where's oh, the good stuff where's the good stuff sorry yeah um so anyway thank thank you uh listener mason that was a delightful email and we wish you the absolute best of luck i feel like having guests on again is inevitable why because we're gonna because run out of just things we'll to talk about? randomly if we just do things randomly eventually one of the things that will happen will be there'll be another guest you know i thought for like our episode 200 because we have a base 10 number system mm. And, and therefore, it's a milestone that that we should have like just dialed some people up, past guests, like a, like <laughs> you are into the you are always this is your go to move. This is your bit of like <laughs> let's call people at random, not at random. Let's call people who with whom we've not prearranged a conversation. Not this like, is your bit. We're not going to get that 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 program like in um, that Matthew Broderick had in War Games, where it just randomly dialed numbers mm. hoping to get a modem. Yeah. Um, Would you like to play a game? Boy, I remember those times. And <laughs> War Games was a really thinking, fun movie as a kid. I'm thinking of calling people that we actually know. Let's do it. Get them on the line. Not really set up to do it right now. Can we make that Skype songs thing? Are we? Is season two? Gonna, where are we going to move on from Skype? We're going to use some kind of different technology. What? Maybe we should use a different technology for season two. That's uh, hey, that's cool. Let's do it. So, what should we talk about? You're talking about the census case? You're you mentioned some, you wanted to talk about yeah, the census Yeah, let's get into case. something for the people who are really about to bail, because it's like, it's if actually, there's no law, I'm going to bail. It's should, actually many, it's actually, it seems like it's a number of cases. There's a case in New York. Yes. There's a case in Maryland. The, the case in New York was the case which reached the Supreme Court and on which they rendered a decision. Yes. Although that decision does not, has, has proved not to be the end of the matter. Uh, indeed. Uh, and, uh, and on its face was not the end of the matter. It ends in a remand. Yeah, uh, of some kind. So, do you want to set up the issue? Do you do? You... Uh, well, it it, it, it I think it, we need to do a little bit more preliminary work yeah. because into, when you say the issue, it's like again, there are multiple proceedings underway. I mean, the challenging. There are multiple issue that gives birth to many, many legal questions. There's a big. You know, what do they want to do? They're trying to do what? Well, as I understand it, uh, the Commerce Department's uh, objective. Uh, because they're and, the agency charged under the Census Act with administering the census. And, right, and conducting, uh, administering, conducting the census. Mm-hmm. Um, the every 10-year uh, count. Required the, by the Constitution in Article 1, there shall be a And in the 14th Amendment, mm-hmm. uh, Section 2, uh, that there has to be an enumeration, a counting of people in the United States. Uh, and 
uh, for the purposes of all kinds of purposes. Well, there are many purposes, but the one actually in the Constitution has to do with uh, proportioning um, membership in the House of Representatives. House members shall be proportioned according to the enumeration. Yes, and I think there are also uh, some. Uh, I think there are also some tax things that turn on the mm-hmm. number of people on the number in of a people. state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, if there is to be this decennial census, a census every ten years, and the Commerce Department's been charged with conducting it, I don't like that word decennial. If there's to be a, an every 10-year census... You can use it, though. I'm not saying you can't use it. It's the word they use throughout the case. But decennial, it's... You know, it's... Well, I, I think the, the reason why it's help, helpful these days is because there's also a mid-decade census. There is, in the yeah. fifth year of a decade, there's mm-hmm. another thing. Mm-hmm. So it's actually doing... The word is actually doing some work. Oh, I know it's doing some work. It's just not a word we use, you know... Every 10 doesn't come up that often. Precisely. Yeah. So it's an unusual word to describe a relatively unusual situation in everyday life. Okay. Why don't you set it up? No, oh, keep I've, going. I've I'm, tried a few times. I'm enjoying I'm, this. I'm, I'm, loving I'm done. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. Keep going. You're doing a great job. <sighs> <laughs> Commerce Department uh, wants to ask in the form that's used with all people in the census this is one issue is a number of different kinds of forms there's a form that goes to most all people the the so-called short form and then there is a form that is used with a much smaller group of people a long form okay and uh the commerce department at, at really the president um at which has been more and more been made more and more clear over these past weeks um, wants to ask uh, people in the census about whether or not they are citizens of the United States. Uh, now, this raises lots and lots of questions. Indeed, in a way, asking anything other than uh, are you here right now, which is a question that when you're in face-to-face mm-hmm. connection with the person is, is sort of answers itself i mean you can see them uh, yeah it, um, it's, it feels to me like a very deep question <laughs> i would enjoy that conversation i think yeah um asking asking anything beyond simply establishing that the person is present in the united states and maybe hasn't already been counted um be, uh, immediately begins to raise issues about trade-offs right? it must because, have been 1980 i have to say that I remember. Do you have memories as a as a kid of census workers coming to the door? Uh, I don't. I don't have any memories of that because I don't know that I was ever in a house where that happened. Uh, I do remember uh, getting the census forms yeah. and finding it extremely exciting. <laughs> <laughs> loving, loving, loving it. As, as a child? Yes. Huh. I say I, I don't remember what the procedure was in 1980. Whether there was, um, I know it was in the case, and I've already forgotten as to when they started mailing out the short form and then the longer form. The longer form they used for to try to gather accurate statistics about lots of things, and um, the short form is trying to get more people to to reply. So by mail, they um, they can save a lot of money. Maybe they can get more accurate statistics. It's all interesting and. You know, right. and somewhat complicated, but um, but I remember as a kid, census workers going door to door and and, uh, sure, and, and the, campaign saying, and that still happens. They're going to be coming to the door, but I think it. W- so what I don't remember is whether they came to the door because we hadn't 
sent in the, the mm. piece of paper, or maybe we already did and they were just checking because they were on the street anyway, or whether in our area that was just what they did at that time. But I just remember the rap at the door, United States Census. And wow. yeah, it was really cool. Neat. I think I was eight. Yeah. Well, so in 1980, I was, uh, that was the year I turned 13. So you were already trouble by then. <laughs> Uh, so I might have been 12 at the time. I mean, if it happened in the first half of 1980, I was still 12. Uh, you but, were preoccupied with the fires you were starting in your garage at that age. Is that um, right? Okay, first of all, I, I did not actually start any fires. <laughs> I lit numerous matches. Second, it was not in the garage. It was in the clothes closet, which makes a lot more sense from the point of view of having an exciting burst of light. <laughs> Okay. But but that's very much a digression. Yeah, this well, is Well, let's return. To this the, is going to be a digressionless season. Yeah. Okay. To the starting now. The excitement about the census I thought I just remember us getting the form and thinking it was just wonderful. Mhm. And I also remember in, in when I was uh you know in 1990 uh being equally excited. I found I don't have a much of a memory about 2000 or, or 2010. I'll I'll be honest. Yeah, which year was the year when they were when, when there was a lot of controversy over whether there would be statistical sampling to conduct the actual count? And there's a lot of constitutional wrangling over the, whether there was enumeration. I think this was before I was a full-fledged graduated law student. So I, I, it was either 1990 or 2000 or both perhaps, but I, I'm guessing it was 2000 because I think there was a lot of, I think, I remember, like Republican pushback against a plan by the Com- Clinton Commerce Department to engage in, in uh, statistical sampling to do yeah, the Yeah, that sounds right. It was the lead up to the 2000 census. Yeah. Uh, and there was litigation. In fact, there was some, the, was there a Supreme case Court reached case? the Supreme Court um, yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's funny because the census litigation, it's like because of the enumeration clause in Article 1, Section 2, and in the 14th Amendment, Section 2, uh, it, there are constitutional overtones that you can develop in this litigation, right. even when there isn't an equal protection guarantee issue, as there is now about this. But but even in the run-of-the-mill census case, you can develop constitutional arguments, constitutional overtones, um, at, b- above and beyond the sort of more standard fare argument about the statute that's in place requires this and not that. Uh, or uh, the administrative agency practice in the Commerce Department is proper or improper for this reason or that reason. That's a sort of standard run-of-the-mill uh, kind of thing you might see in any area, mm-hmm. right? Where there's a, an administrative agency is doing something, there's a statute that's involved, there's also administrative rulemaking or other administrative behavior involved. So you get the sort of run-of-the-mill kinds of issues, right? But in this census stuff, there's this overriding constitutional enumeration requirement and whatever its dictates may be. Um, and as I was trying to refer to before, yeah. you, you know, the, when, you're, when you're thinking about the constitutional principle, which is count all the people, and you're thinking, okay, well, you know, there are some ways of counting people that would, that would predictably lead to us being able to accurately count fewer people. And there are other ways of counting people that would allow us to accurately count more of the people who are here. And so, okay, well, how much, uh, how much leeway does the Constitution provide in the choice of means, given that the 
command seems to be count all the people. Let, let me let me which add, entails yeah. a kind of accuracy premise in the requirements of the Constitution itself. Let, let me fill out what I think you're talking about a little bit, and in, just in the in the spirit of you know maybe having a three hour show and just kind of edging up to this issue. Mm. Um, so. You know, in an ordinary case, there there is always like constitutional power to do something. Congress has the power to regulate interstate commerce, or to do, or to, um, um, uh, you know, regulate public lands and other things. That you, you find some source in the Constitution for these different kinds of powers. Um, you know, to declare war. You know, all kinds of stuff, right? Right. And it passes statutes, um ordering, authorizing, giving some guidance to the executive branch to do things that Congress has the power to say that it wants done. Right. Um, so maybe, you know, survey the national forest to determine the number of acres suitable for X, Y, or Z purposes, um, you know, um, survey for wilderness areas. You can imagine all kinds of things that Congress would take its powers um, in the Constitution. So these are powers that it has just, uh, and, and then passes a statute implementing those powers. Sure. Now you're saying that the... And so when the agency, when the executive branch actually does the things commanded by the statute, it usually has to write some more down, right? These are regulations, interpretive guidelines, and it's all kinds of things that it can do. And some of these are regulated one way, some are regulated another. Um, uh, but it has to kind of fill this out. We're going to do this thing, surveying the public lands or doing this yeah. other thing, according to these procedures. Here's how we're going to do it. And some of these are subject to notice and comment, where the public gets to comment. Um, some some may not be, and the uh, framework for of administrative law in the federal system. There's an, a very important statute, the Administrative Procedure Act, which is sort of a super statute, you might say. Um, it's like the Constitution it, of the Administrative State, in addition to the regular old Constitution. Mm. Uh, and and one of one of its principles, and in fact, it comes into play in this Supreme Court census decision. One of its principles is the is the uh, is the idea that the agency's action can't be arbitrary. Right? There has to be some reasoned or and reasonable basis. Yes, hmm? or capricious. Yeah, I don't think that adds much. Um, hmm. Maybe it does, and I'm just not a good uh, reader of the statute. I, I've not, I've never taught administrative law. So maybe, maybe arbitrary and capricious is two separate and independent and interesting things. I think really there's one thing and it's arbitrariness. I wonder whether you'd um, rather be treated arbitrarily or capriciously. I think if you're treated capriciously, at least you know what you're dealing with. Hmm. <laughs> okay. I mm. don't know what that means, but, okay. um, uh, so anywho, uh, there's this principle that, and and what you were just saying before about so you know go measure the size of the national parks or things like that um, you know if, if 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 the agency charged with doing that uh, took an agency action to establish that it would be measuring the na- the size of the national parks um, by using tarot card readings mm. that that would sort of be like well. Here's the problem with that. That's not really a way you can m- measure physical space reliably and predictably. So, so no, that's actually not a permissible under the statute. Whatever else it might empower you to do, like there might be some other reason you could sponsor tarot card readings. But if, if what you're trying to do is measure the parks, there needs to be a means ends fit here that's reasonable. Like, not that we're going to scrutinize it the way we would scrutinize some. Uh, so now, why facially why, pernicious? Why, why uh, does there have to be a means and fit? Why does there have to yeah, be? Why what? should there? I mean, what are we looking for here? Are we looking for the fact that there is a means and fit, or do we think that if they're using tarot cards, really they're up to something else? 
Like they never really wanted to measure it at all. Well, that, and that's a great question. I suppose uh, any any fact scenario might make that question more or less pressing. Um, but I'm just curious. Like, what's the danger here that we think we're dealing with? With well, the bar so, on, so yeah. again, I'm, I'm for context. So I think what I'm doing is elaborating on the idea that the the, the Administrative Procedure Act tells us that agency action shouldn't be done in an arbitrary way. And so whatever else you may be dealing with, it seems to me part of what you're dealing with is a a means ends fit that is about actually achieving the the uh, the prop properly achieving the actual goal. Right. And, and it, it's it's so that we don't waste resources. It's so that we accomplish our objectives. uh those are things that don't really rely on any assumption about the executive actor being up to no good or being yeah. up to some other goal. So we'll get the ambiguity like that. on that in just a second. But I, I guess the idea is then that you need to be able to state reasons why you have chosen to implement the statute in the way that you have proposed to implement it. You yeah, need they to need state to be- reasons which are like pass pass some test some some threshold yeah test. and they, right so be, and it's not just any old reasons right oh well you know because i want to right like that's that's a reason although it's i don't think it's the right kind of reason um it it's i think it needs to be you know a, a, a reason that that other people can reasonably credit right it, it needs to be even if they disagree yeah it needs to be rooted right. in again some i keep using this phrase i'm for obviously at some loss for a better one but it's like it, it given the goal, that's a way to get to that goal that seems to uh, accord with our common sense and experience. Like, oh, that's how you do a thing like that, or that's how one could do a thing like that. Yeah, right. So it's not it's it's not rational basis review, which is the constitutional standard for the review of pretty much any congressional action or or um, legislative action or even executive action anywhere. Like it's always subject to. You know, yeah, under, under due process clo- and equal protection. It's awfully close to it. Uh, it's, it's, it's much different because there's actually some scrutiny. Now, it is not strict scrutiny, <laughs> but rational basis, setting aside the context of, um, of anti-gay animus and a few other situations where what's going on is probably not rational basis review as ordinarily conceived. Right. Uh, you are looking for any, you know, is there some legitimate target that you're aiming at? That, that could be aimed at and then right. are the means chosen like conceivably barely rationally related to those means yeah and in the administrative context i do i think it needs to be uh, there is a, it, there's an actuality requirement that does not exist in rational basis review of congressional action right in in under so there's a requirement that you actually give us the reasons like give us reasons yeah that would you know that would justify this course of action and yeah, that's that's where we're going to talk in a, in a minute, I think, is are we looking for actual reasons? Or are we looking for justifications? And it, are those two things different? Mm. Um, but but for now, um, I think you've stated it well. I mean, you know, the cases State Farm, if people want to look at the State Farm case, and there are a few others that are in the canon that every law student learns in admin law about yep. how to look at agency action. And um, I what else to say uh, to, to set up? Um, I mean, there are some... Um, there, there are some executive actions where Congress, where the court has determined that Congress has so thoroughly 
delegated discretion to the agency that the court doesn't review it in that way. Um, you know, this is like a thorough commitment to the agency. And it's almost as if, and, and it's been a long time since I've read any of these cases, that for the court to kind of step in and second guess would be at odds with the tripartite structure of the government, right? It would be um, interfering yeah, in with Congress's in, powers. and In, yeah. in an instance, especially where uh, Congress has taken the step of, of ensuring that going out of its way, which is, I think, how the cases would tell you to think about it, right? Yeah. Um, Congress has sort of gone out of its way not to involve the judiciary. And yeah, one of these, I think, was the uh, congressional delegation to, was the head of the CIA? I forget. What, it was in this, in something this like case. Something like that. CIA with, or NSA or something With kind of like complete that. discretion to remove employees for national security reasons. Right. And the question is, does that employee get to go before the courts and say, you didn't have a good reason, air all this stuff? And, and no. the court said, no, that this is <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so but, but I think the yeah. court hesitates to reach that conclusion, um, and I think for obvious reasons, um, mm-hmm. that the ha- having a norm of judicial involvement, even if only to ensure that there's non non arbitrariness, uh, is that's a healthy thing, a good thing, and what you think Congress would want, right? That Congress would usually want the executive uh, to be subject to um, questions about acting in an arbitrary way to ensure that they didn't. Right? I see why Cong- you, Congress, yeah. when it sets a goal, doesn't want, it, doesn't want that goal to be arbitrarily failed at or dismissed. So, of course, they want the courts involved, unless they really go out of their way to say no. And, and you would be attracted to kind of the legal process grounds here, too, right? That by having this review, it, it encourages or perhaps forces agencies to at least make a record and to kind of, you know, proceed according to some kind of... Yeah ordinary regular process and that this makes it less likely that like bad things will happen. Yeah. And it's a healthy process too, for agencies to develop their expertise, right? They, you know, agencies have people who work in them who have by educational background and by experience have developed some real expertise about stuff. And so this kind of regularized process is a way to bring that expertise to bear. It encourages people to develop it so that they can bring it to bear. It's a pretty, pretty sensible thing. Now, of course it doesn't mean agencies are immune from capture for those they regulate and all other sorts of problems people have articulated about the administrative state and its challenges. Of course, those challenges exist. Yeah. Now, now this is all relevant because um, doing the census, the, the, the Commerce Department is following the Census Act, a statute passed by Congress yes. implementing the enumeration requirement yep. because the Constitution doesn't set out all the guidelines and, 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 and confer directly to the executive all the power to conduct the census. Right. In, fact, it, in fact, it puts Congress in the driver's seat. I think it says it it's does. Congress shall direct. So. Yes. So, um, so they've done that with the Census Act. And one of the things the Census Act requires is, hey, you know, you can't just like in the in in the in the year 2020 just start asking you know, going around counting people you've got to give a plan um to congress in advance indicating what questions you're going to ask in these forms and it sets out how the forms are supposed to be and all that and so and there's a notification I, i'm not going to get in all the weeds of this but there's a first notification and there's a second notification and and in the first notification to congress um i think it was in was it in 2017 the first one here, they didn't include this question. Mm. And it was in the second notification where they indicated they would ask this question. And so one of, one of the bits of this, once, once they proposed to ask this question, lots of people sued. Um, some government sued. I think there were some, also some individuals. 
I'm trying to remember who all is on this suit, but there were some initial standing questions, mm. right? So government says we're going to count people according to um, uh, the following method. And in the course of doing that, we're going to ask them for, you know, how many people live in the house, age, sex, the normal things that are asked on the short form. We're also going to ask again on the short form, um, are you a citizen of the United States? And I, I don't have the question in front of me, so I don't know if there were other questions. Are, are, are all the people in the house citizens? I don't know whether it was that. Do you know whether it was I that? I don't. Okay. No. Um, and, and some context here. This question had been asked on prior... Oh, what's the plural, Joe, of census? Oh, great question. Censuses, I guess, would be a pedestrian guess, although one is drawn toward the guess sensi. I, I think it's sensa. <laughs> uh, so on... on but. Prior censuses had asked this question. Yeah, I although I, I think the last one to do so in the long form was, uh, excuse me, in the comprehensive, the universal form, let's call it that. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, this is the short form. Is the, is the 1950 census, mm-hmm. I think, was the last time that, right. that was done. Um, but, but even... a long time ago. That's even almost, as recently, I think 2010, they asked this question in the long form. And the long form is what goes to a, to a subsample, uh, well, to a sample, um, uh, not to the entire population. Right. And then there's another thing they do called the American Community Survey, which is, I think, yet again, a different thing. That's not the long form or right. short form. It's a it's just a different thing the the Census Bureau does. Um, you know, which the, involves not an enumeration, but statistical sampling in order to come up with all kinds of demographic right. data about the United States and, and other you know, data the, as well. The Census Bureau, um, uh, the, uh, the there are these... Um, these units within various administrative agencies that that gather and distribute information and it is enormously valuable information mm-hmm. it is extremely helpful it is enormously valuable it's very good that it be accurate uh it's it's got depending on the bureau we're talking about uh these information gathering and distribution things have an have a very high reputation for accuracy uh and reliability uh, they a, a very high reputation for being conducted in a in a dispassionate, not partisan way, uh, and the, I think those are really important, valuable things. Uh, that that apart from any other issues in this case, or apart from the thinking about the census in this particular citizenship domain, really shouldn't be squandered. Right, the 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 reputation they have for you know, dispassionately, accurately measuring stuff and communicating that information to the general public so that they can use it in lots of good ways, whether it's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration or the Census Bureau or whatever. Or the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Bureau of Labor Statistics, another great example. Like, this is <laughs> this is very like and and just economically valuable, right? A, apart from other values, right? It, you re, we really shouldn't squander this as a country, right? The fact that we've built up this capability to gather and distribute information about things actually happening on the ground in the in our world um, that that people use f- to great. Benefit. I mean, just think about unemployment numbers and and economic data in particular. I'm thinking of the labor statistic stuff, and and but and it's a classic kind of commons yeah. issue in the sense that you know is that something any one private person would do uh, as comprehensively or as well, given that they probably couldn't appropriate to themselves all of the returns of that information. Well, certainly, a Pro- legit question to ask. My yeah. guess would be, in many instances, that they, no, they would not. Um, maybe some of the largest companies 
would do this, but you wouldn't share the you wouldn't share the data. Well, right. That that so that 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 last step being among the most important steps of what wouldn't happen, right? Is that that not only not just that the information exists, but the information exists and is publicly and universally knowable, right? Um, to, again, to everyone's benefit uh, is that's that's a remarkably excellent thing, uh, and the census is a part of that. Right, an ecosystem of information generation and distribution for the country. Um, so, getting accurate information. A soapbox there. Sorry about that. Uh, no, no, I, I, I think that's a great detour um, because it is one. Of, it's of, of of a piece with what we're kind of a lot of us are worried about these days. Like you know, you ha- there there are all of these functions of government which we have to rely on as being conducted in good faith and as and you know in in the worst kinds of abuses these kinds of accurate government government numbers are often the first to go right you know? and and it really is a case of of you know a very very giant invading bird fouling the nest it's it's just not a good idea yeah well i mean so so far a lot of these agencies have held up pretty well from what i can tell i yeah. mean um so Let's it's almost that. it's almost as dangerous uh, to speculate about you know there was this whole cottage industry of not trusting numbers in the Obama administration, right? I mean, you you would see news reports attacking you know is this really the number? Is this really the number? And like there are legitimate questions. Like in a democracy, you should actually you know say are we doing this in the best way possible? But yes, but you can also undermine the system of trust by constantly calling into question the trust. I mean, it's a very complicated dynamic, isn't it? It, it is. Uh, and, it, and, where there is. And where there is evidence that there is some uh, either misconduct or, or, or simply, uh, you know, failing to use a readily available and, and, and a greatly preferable method, right? Issues like that where there is evidence in hand to suggest the issue or ev- enough evidence in hand to raise questions that have to be pursued, you know, that's all to the good. I mean, my, my whole point is these things are good and should be kept good. And that includes if someone's engaging in misconduct, finding out about it and stopping it. Right? Okay. So, that, it, yes. Totally. I, so in the abstract, in, in the abstract, abstract, the most abstract... <laughs> There's nothing wrong with asking a census, asking a citizenship question. Like you know, it, there, there's you could ask a lots of questions that you might want to know. There might be legitimate reasons, and there are right. legitimate reasons for knowing how many people in the United States are citizens, how many right. are uh, immigrants, how many are undocumented immigrants. There you isn't anything wrong things. with that. Going back to my very first point, there isn't anything wrong with asking that question. That isn't also wrong with every other, which is it, you you can worry for for virtually any question. That will asking this question drive down the response rate to a degree that I'm better off not asking. And it seems to me that question about trade-offs is a question you could worry or wonder about with respect to virtually anything we ask yeah, about the that's, census. That's one of the harms. It's all, so all, all, the har- all the harms that can come from asking questions depend on the context in which the question is being asked. Of course. The social context and everything else. So, so Absolutely. It, you know, in a society that still burns witches at the stakes, if, you, if one of the questions is, are you or is anyone you, in your household a witch, that has a certain menacing quality to Indeed. it, right? In, in a way that it, <laughs> Indeed. In a way that it doesn't when witches are, you know, I don't, some kind of, you know, post-Harry Potter world where witches are celebrated. So... Uh, <laughs> Right. So this is another example Great of that, example. right? I mean, um, that to know what kinds of harms to, to be on the lookout for, one has to understand one's own social context. And as you say, one of the harms is you, 
you might ask a question that people are reluctant to answer right. truthfully or reluctant to participate at all in, and so you get lower response rates. Here's a, here's a slightly... Another is, though, that, that the question itself is meant to be a weapon and meant to be cruel. Yes, and taking a step in the other direction, y- you went sort of a step to cruel, right? If you step back, uh, you, you might simply wonder, well, okay, the, and this is just a hypothetical, right? Okay, this is going to be the 50th question. And mm-hmm. at the margin, just the number of things we're asking could begin to deter compliance or answering, um, whatever word you want to use for it, could, be, could begin to cut into your accuracy. Uh, and it wouldn't, so it wouldn't actually matter what the content of the right. question was. It was just the fact well, that this it was is the, one the 50th th- one. Yeah. This is one of the things we'll get into here in the third hour of the program. But yeah. um, the, one, of, one of the rationales for the short form. I think we're doing a good job by yeah, this do- topic. I don't think we're belaboring anything that shouldn't be talked about. We'll find out. We'll find out. <laughs> I think I'm enjoying listening to you, Joe. Oh, my God. So furious. Um, so one of the rationales for the short form is exactly that. Like keep to a bare minimum the questions that you ask in conducting the enumeration, you know, where you actually contact everybody. And then in the longer form where you're sampling, that's where you trade off, okay, some of the people that we send the long form to are not going to answer. And we're right. going to have to try to send census workers out to, you know, to, to hand count, right, to ma- manually to count right. uh, um, those households. So that's a trade-off of which, you know, Congress has long been well aware, everybody's well aware, the, um, the professionals in the um, Census Bureau well aware and yep. have models trying to figure out, like, optimally how to get the best information, but also to serve this main constitutional function of, of achieving just, just an to enumeration. Just people. Yeah. And so every other question you ask is, is, is ancillary, in a way, to the, to the constitutional purpose of the enumeration. But there's also, there's nothing wrong with doing anything ancillary. And that's one of the things early on, you know, they, they make a, a challenge to, right. to uh, under the enumeration clause, um, which if you take it as far as it would go, would suggest you can't ask anything other than how many people are here, right? Because anything else you ask is going to maybe reduce the response rate. You could probably model that. Right. I'm sure they have. And right. the more questions you ask, as you say, the fewer responses you get. And therefore, if the purpose is the enumeration, then adding this other thing doesn't serve that purpose. Therefore, blah, 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 blah. And apparently, uh, at least in the context of the court's decision in this uh, Department of Commerce against New York case issued the other day, uh, Apparently, it's been the case virtually since the first census, if, if not actually the very first census, that um, there are questions beyond how many people are in, in this structure right now, right? right. That uh, suggesting by way of a sort of liquidation idea, the idea that whatever vagaries exist in the Constitution can be resolved in part through long settled practice. This was used in the Noel Cannon, Noel Cannon case, case as well yeah. for... Um, you know, be, Congress being in recess for purposes of the appointments clause. Um, you know, the first portion of the Chief Justice's opinion in the in the uh, Commerce Against New York case was, look, it, <laughs> it's okay to ask things on the census because right. we always have. So if you want to constitutionalize the principle in, under the enumeration clause that, you know, thou shalt not ask any questions, citizenship or otherwise, the, the court's answer to that is no. That detract from the ability to enumerate. Yeah. And, 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 and in fact, the citizenship question dates back to, you know, either decades and decades and decades, all the way back to the 1700s, sure. right? The, was it in the first census? I think they yeah, I might know. have asked in the first but, census. But yeah. in, the, in the context of, um, uh, you know, it's unclear because he says in these first few pages, it's about, you know, 
your citizenship or where you were born, right? Yeah. And, and those are t- actually not the same question yeah. uh, and, and, pro- and probably aren't heard the same way. Right. Um, so I don't know. All I, these pre-14th Amendment questions about citizenship are a little bit strange. Yeah. Um, so anywho, uh, the, the, I think the history certainly indicates that um, if your theory of the constitutional requirement of the enumeration clause is that there be no questions asked other than merely identifying the presence of a person at a place at a time, right. um, no. And it was nine zip on this. I, yeah, that sounds as right. far as I can tell. Now, now this opinion. I mean, if you if you want to look at it, um, yeah, different people joining different parts. Steve so. and Bobby talked about it on the National Security Law podcast uh, right. last week, I think, and and they, did. they had a good description of the syllabus there right it's one of these where there are like three to, to make it the majority opinion there are like three different majorities that yeah. actually you know create the the rule in this case so um uh but that i think on this issue it was unanimous on and, the issue of whether there's an enumeration clause violation of some right. kind and um i think that that is that sounded perfectly good to me as far as it went um i i, I think i at least personally think we we actually should be willing to constitutionalize the enumeration clause's focus on counting all the persons as the constitutional command um, in a case where, and I'm going to do sort of a footnote four kind of thing here, Yeah. right? Um, where if we had reason to think that the census question being uh, challenged were designed to uh disfavor uh, uh, to, to harm a disfavored group of people um that that would be sort of a footnote for reason to be worried yeah and that's so there's um, an equal protection clause claim brewing which would sound in that sort of reason right is, is that the one in maryland that is the one in maryland um uh, and and i don't i don't know that i would i don't i guess i don't know enough about how the equal protection clause issue would work out in this context to know whether I'd want to limit myself to that frame. But, uh, but I think the deeper principle that, um, you know, pr- precisely because an important thing the census is used to do, but, you know, really the, the uh, first among equals important thing it is designed to do is tell us how many representatives in the House of Representatives each state is going to get. Well, this is how Breyer starts his opinion, right? right? This is the... That, and it's the same, you know, this basically a lot of the ideas articulated in Justice Kagan's dissent from the court's decision uh, to... Uh, not to hear political gerrymandering challenges anymore. Uh, Ruko, I guess, was the name of that case. Mm-hmm. Um, that that sort of like, you know, protecting the integrity of the political process is the thing that protects everything else in right. some sense, in right. some very deep sense. Right. So if you if you had a reason to believe that a census question being challenged was a subtle or not so subtle attack on the the healthy functioning of the political process that would be a very very significant reason in my mind to say okay yeah there's questions and then there's questions and the fact that normally the enumeration clause wouldn't in w- wouldn't be a reason to intrude too much on how the run-of-the-mill average everyday questions are being framed and asked in the census context y- there are questions that would really get your hackles up well i think this is, we're going to come back to this when we talk about the nature of reasons and in, in deciding such things. But I don't know that you have to go all the way to footnote four for this. Maybe not. Because 
and I didn't listen to the argument or read the briefs in this case. Um, so I, I. I feel a, a little bit at sea with making, um, with, with what I'm about to say, but I listened it, to some of the, I think I listened to some of the argument. I it, definitely didn't read the brief. It does seem to me that even if you think challenging a question under the directly under the enumeration clause as, um, as, as, as it, kind of inhibiting the enumeration because, you know, fewer people will respond. Like, I understand how that claim doesn't lie. Otherwise, you know, um, there are many rational ways to do things and trade-offs to be made, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And, so, and so I wouldn't read it so doctrinaire as to say that, um, you know, absolutely nothing can be asked that detracts from achieving uh, an actual enumeration. Nor would I. However, it does seem to me that a question which is designed to make the enumeration, enumeration less accurate is of a different order. And that maybe there is a violation of the enumeration clause. Were, say were Congress to do something. If, if Congress were to pass a law where the explicit purpose was to achieve um, an improper enumeration, in other words, to achieve an improper count. Right. Give you an example. Let, let's give an example to make it a little bit more concrete. Uh, this is a thing that I think e- even the most... Uh, relaxed and supine <laughs> reviewer <laughs> yeah. of a constitutional challenge to a census technique would think this was troubling, right? I think. Um, if Congress passes a statute that says, okay, uh, you know, going forward, um, uh, this, this is how we're conducting the census. Um, uh, everyone who shows up uh, in Duluth, Minnesota, uh, on this day, at this time, to be counted counts, and no one else does. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, there's a bunch of problems with that. <laughs> it, it, apart from it simply being quite bizarre, or, or if, um, you know, or it, the method is, you know, go, it, we're going to send people out to every home, and we're going to flip a coin, and if it's heads, you report the number of people reported in the house, and if it's tails, you divide that number by two and you add it to the count right i mean that's a ridiculous that, that would be an equally weird although it has the virtue of at least getting some of the houses correct uh, right. and what my hypothetical does, and, and it takes out from at least with yours you could challenge it saying that it gives an unfair advantage to the people in minnesota um, well and it, and it does not only that it gives an enormous unfair advantage to people who can afford to travel what, duluth's in minnesota right I think it is, isn't it? Oh my Didn't gosh! Did I say Duluth, Minnesota? Said, I think you said Duluth, Minnesota. Now, because uh, I've been to Minnesota. Oh, nice! I, 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 it's great. You know, I spent some time in Minneapolis. Uh, yeah. I went up, I climbed the highest peak in Minnesota. Nice. Which is we not. We could a, say a, a Omaha, Nebraska, instead, if we like that. We could say, you know, Sandusky, Ohio. We could say, um, you know, El Cajon, California. Whatever. I mean, Duluth is a city in Gwinnett County, Georgia. <laughs> that's what comes. That's the first step. Maybe because I'm googling this from uh, from from Georgia. Um, yeah, Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah. I just haven't been there. That's all. So you, you could look at that and you could say, well, gosh, you know, pe- people who can't afford to travel to Duluth, uh, will be left out. People who, uh, could afford to travel there, but can't uh, manage to get there would be left out. What is the basis for that? Like the, the, the constitution is giving us an order that right. but part of this is about seeing the constitutional thing as a command. Not just, you know, here's a, here's a thing that would be nice. It's, it's actually an order. Right. Uh, and, it's an, and it's an order because you have to figure out how many people are going to be in the House of Representatives or that thing won't work. Right? It has to have a number of people in it. You need to know how many people to have in it. And so you can't, this isn't optional. 
in that it, sense. It's it's an illustration that the that your reasons for proceeding in a certain way need to have a certain resonance with the reason for the clauses being there, right? And and yeah. the clause is there to uh, you know it tells us why it's there, or it kind of um, not not to the same degree the Second Amendment does, uh, right. but it. But it has a certain command structure to it, and if the way you proceed under that clause has not is is what is skew right, then um, it seems like there's a problem. Yeah, right. And let me make one more point along that same line, which is, and it's a textual point. Um, so it may or may not cut much ice with you, but um, <laughs> it it refers in both places, both in Article One and in the Fourteenth Amendment, to persons. Right, so it's not making a point about counting citizens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's saying persons. Now, it's especially um, it's especially gross in Article One as originally drafted that it makes explicit the notion that that people who are not free persons are counted only at the rate of three fifths. Right. So it is. This clause is also one of the manifestations of the original document's commitment to the continued existence of slavery mm-hmm. as an institution. Um, but uh, and and there it was it was the states with many many non citizens in this case enslaved um, Africans many not, non, yet, not yet African Americans right, right? non free persons right and, and uh, who wanted that count right the, correct and, and so it, it's a little. So here, the, these to the extent there's some suppression of the, it doesn't work quite the same way. Although yeah. even there, it doesn't say citizen there or non. It says free persons. Yeah, no, I know, and not. So so and and then there's this uh, a, a carve out for Indians not taxed, right. which is a phrase used in both places. So again, the important thing to point out as a textual matter is that it's a command to count persons. So, for example, it doesn't distinguish between persons who are of voting age and not, right. or persons who are there only for a, a little while and not, or persons who are citizens and not. It just says persons. Count the persons, right? Um, and so that, that, again, orthogonal to how much of this do I want to constitutionalize, Mm-hmm. which may be a lot or not much and somewhere in between, and it might vary with the issue, uh, is the, you know, what is, what's actually being commanded here? Now, in this case, it's, there's nothing in the Census Act which has that character to it, the character of undermining the, the, the very enumeration that the Constitution commands. No, right? and we were trying to give easy examples of things that might raise constitutional hackles right. were they attempted. Right, and they haven't been attempted here, so that's yeah. So, so the yeah. constitutional issue in this case m- m- may be relatively straightforward. There, there's kind of an easy, there's an easier administrative law route to dealing with what looks like an attack on the ability to uh, obtain an accurate count. Yes, but there's still, I, it's like you know, you try to pull these things apart, like the Chief Justice does. By saying, yeah, this, you know, this is not arbitrary and capricious. However, the reason is pretextual, <laughs> right? right? And, and it's like, no, all the, like, both the, the command for um, an enumeration, the command that the agency act non-arbitrarily and non-capriciously, right? The, the, the command that they actually give us the reason and that that reason be real, 
not necessarily the only reason, but a real reason. Yeah. Like all those things are working together in this case to produce something really unusual. I mm. think. Um, we breezed over the standing point, but the, the reason that this matters, the reason that jurisdictions have some standing is that a lots of lots turns on this. I think we mentioned this at the beginning, right? And not just the um, proportioning of, of house members, um, but also federal grants. I mean, there are material consequences that, um, that occur because uh, uh, that well occur consequent to like these census numbers, right? So a state which is undercounted will receive less in federal grants uh, right. of various kinds and other services too. So this was like I, I'm surprised. I don't think anyone dissented from that point. I think this was also nine zero. Um, I'm trying. I didn't read all of Alito's dissent at the end. Um, I was kind of surprised by that, but it is one where. Um, where Justice Roberts says, no, these are, you know, these, the, the difficulty there is that maybe it's like uncertain. And the reason, it, the, the reason that you would obtain an undercount is not because of the question itself, but because someone takes that question and decides that they are not going to answer. In other words, they're going to act maybe illegally by refusing to answer the census because of the question. You're saying this is in the standing discussion. In the standing discussion. So yeah. like, why should a city be able to complain that the government is doing something which will cause other people to act in illegal ways like there's an indirection there right so so right. The, the reason that the, the reason i'll be injured is not because you government are doing what you're doing it's because in response to what you're doing other people will act in in right. unexpected or well here it is expected ways but perhaps illegal ways and you know i was surprised that i didn't provoke like more dissent but you know i haven't read i didn't read too deeply into it mm. other than just yeah we know for sure we have all these uh well, we, for sure is, is weird when it comes to uh, statistics here but we have good statistics that asking this question will lead to this much probably undercounting within this band and that will result in these material consequences and you can at least complain about that and one facet if you're looking at this from a point of view of standing making sure you have a party before you who's got a, a concrete enough injury that you would know how to fix it like they're actually harmed and you know that the court could do something to undo that harm, to remedy that harm. Um, one reason why you might be troubled if the person's story is, well, it's not that the person I sued did something they shouldn't do. It's that someone else is going to do something they shouldn't do. Right. Mm -hmm. One reason you might find that troubling is because if you just don't have a good idea about the predictability of the other person doing that, that would be one reason to be concerned. Right. Right. A different reason to be concerned would be, look, you, you always have to sue the person most directly responsible for the harm, whatever it is. So you might just have sued the wrong person. On a, and that's not quite a probability or predictability point. That's more about a, a causation story point. Right. About a, the, the sort of the causal arrow and is it pointing at the right party? Uh, and, and I think the court is like saying... That one's not a, we're not, we're not, we don't really care about that in this instance. We care about the predictability point. Mm -hmm. um, because the government is attaching all these other consequences to the count. So it's not quite like suing the federal government if it reduces its, uh, the, the criminal penalty for drug dealing or something by saying, hey, we're going to have more drugs because you did that. And, you know, right. uh, or, or reducing the sentence for murder um, of certain kinds of interstate I don't know, interstate conspiracies to murder or something like that by saying, hey, well, now we're going to have all these additional problems because you haven't punished harshly enough. That right. seems to me a different sort of, uh, of thing here. Here, the, the census is all about the, these statistics. It's all about these uh, 
probabilistic expectations right. of, um, in terms of obtaining the enumeration. And so um, and there's, there's no way to avoid There's something a little weird, this. too, about saying, well, you know, it's, it's not our fault that we added a citizenship question and people aren't answering honestly, given that the law says you're required to answer census questions and you're required to answer them honestly. There's something seems kind of bootstrappy about that to me. Well, because the direction, yes, and, and the direction from the Constitution is to try, you know, as I read it, like, try your dead level best to count the actual number of people in the United States. Right. Right. And this is the whole thing leading up to the, 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 the debate over statistical sampling. You could probably do a better job statistically than you could by, by um, only counting what you can find in a headcount, right? right? Which is, now, my recollection of that case was that the court's holding was about the statute, not about the Constitution. I don't remember. I, I, That's I, my recollection. for this. I don't want to talk about it because I yeah. just don't, I don't remember. In any event. But uh, the statistical sampling lost out, and I don't remember if that was because of the, the decision itself or some political compromise afterwards or, or what. But um, there's lots of, as, as you, we talked about earlier, lots of statistical sampling going on, just not for purposes of... Uh, right. Uh, of uh, apportioning representatives. Yeah. It's done in the American uh, community survey stuff and yeah. other stuff. Yeah. But so how, let's so, bring us back all right, to So this. now let's get to the big issues. Yeah. Cause we're, we're more than an hour in. So yeah, we're just getting is, warmed up. Yeah. We're just getting warmed up. This is, this is going to be the flow of season two. Yeah. Four hour shows at the minimum. Yeah. Maybe, Strap in folks. If we do, Buckle if up. we do a four hour show once a month, isn't that the same as four shows? <laughs> I mean, maybe we'll start. Maybe we'll just do mini series from now on. We'll break every show into yeah. Um, I, people would not be into that though if they're getting the same amount not, of content no. over a longer period, right? right? Yeah. yeah. So now that that claim loses, we get to whether this was arbitrary and capricious, right? Right. And this goes to whether there are you know is it justifiable adding this question? Is the agency justifiable in doing this in light of what it's been? Asked to do by Congress, and perhaps also in light of constitutional principles. So, how did that go, Joe? Well, the majority says it's fine. This is the, this is Chief Justice Roberts writing of. for yeah, and it's it, the conservative majority saying it's okay. It's okay when viewed without when you look at only a part of what happened. Right, because a different majority, and the Chief Justice is the overlapping figure, um, he's the person in both groups of five votes, uh, when, you're, when you are actually, when you allow yourself to look at the extent to which the Commerce Department's justification was pretextual, was, was you know, sort of a made-up... Yeah, in uh, other words, when they said this is the reason we lied. Yeah. When you look at all that, then it's it's not okay, right? So yeah, if you look at it as if it were the truth, I just want to go through just talk about the opinion, though, right? So the yeah, if, if but for, that comes forgetting with, everything that comes before all the other facts, which actually, you know, forgetting all the other facts, if we just look at the actual decision, the the um, the professionals in the census department ob- objected to adding this question, and they said, hey, we, if you're really interested in citizenship numbers, here are some better ways of doing it that wouldn't depress the census uh, right. response rates too much. Um, we could um, uh, we could engage in some maybe come up with a new statistical model to try to account for people who aren't accounted for in the um, American Community Survey right. numbers and uh, and we can use other government measures and so there are other ways to a- achieve this goal that doesn't come at the cost of 
census responses, which right. would be used to apportion representatives. Um, and Secretary Ross, I guess, has a, is, is in a memo that comes after this where he says, well, okay, well, this other option you have, of, we, why don't we do both? Belt and suspenders. We will both ask people um, whether they are citizens of the United States uh, when we, in, in the short form, and we will try to develop this other model and we'll get even more accurate numbers about this. And the reason that we want to do this is so that we can um, enforce better the Voting Rights Act. And we've got a request now, here from the Justice Department Civil Rights Division that we do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, of course, that's good, better enforcing. Now, how does this help enforce the Voting Rights Act? Do you remember? Oh, well, um, because you, if you are worried about there being uh, districts, district lines drawn, so this isn't knowing how many representatives a state would have, but knowing which neighborhoods and locations would go into voting yes or mm-hmm. no on having any given representatives. So right. You, so you're uh, the, the house district, for example, member of your house, what group of people vote on that house member, right? Um, Which is restricted the, to citizens. Hmm? Voting is restricted to citizens. Well, of so. course. Uh, and so if you're going to draw those districts, knowing how many people who could vote, right? So you'd, you'd want to know both citizenship and voting age. And the claim is that the is that the census block level data would would be better able to answer because of the way that you draw the districts, like you would have more granular information about where citizens and therefore voting age people... Right. Which uh, apparently the other method was not providing. Yeah, it, it, at, a, so, at a broader scale. Yeah. And this is where the, um, the chief scientist and the um, maybe other census employees said... Uh, well, we can develop a new model that provides this more that will serve some of the same purposes. But they didn't have the model yet, right? And it would be hard to know. You know, you you could never prove that your model was you know count without doing an actual enumeration of. You, you could never exactly prove it, but you would have some confidence as as models are um, are yeah. often judged that this was doing an okay job, right? And the secretary says, no, I think we want to do an enumeration as well and give some explanations for this. And Chief Justice Roberts says, look, this is, you know, yes, there were professionals, there were professional scientists who said there's a better way to do this. And here the estimate is either 5.1 or 5.8% depression in, uh, in responses um, owing to this question. Um, but... You know that it comes with trade-offs. Like you know, not knowing this information as well um, is uh, uh, would come with other expenses, and so it, it seems like an exercise of like political judgment, and it's value laden enough right. where there isn't just one answer um, that science can give to how to d- conduct this survey, and 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 Secretary Ross appeared to take in all of this information and make a make a reasoned decision. No, reason enough, and and I think the. Uh, So Justice Breyer, uh, for the dissenters on this portion of the opinion, uh, explains why in his view, in their view, these the other four justices, why the secretary's reaction to the professionals at the Census Bureau and the and the way they had described the the parameters and the trade offs, why his reaction to and rejection of what what they posited was arbitrary, was a form of arbitrariness. uh, the reason why I, I think that's the better view here is because, although I have no doubt at all in my mind that Congress could, of course, sufficiently intertwine 
things like the Voting Rights Act and the Census Act so that the trade-off in which the secretary engaged was appropriate, was just a one of a range of permissible judgment calls to make. I think that that's not the current state of the law. I think the current state of the law is the Census Act and the enumeration objective prioritizes getting an accurate count. Yeah, yeah. In, in, yeah. In, a way, in a way that makes the trade-off in which he engaged not permissible. Well, one of the grounds that, that he cited, uh, Secretary Ross and that Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts credited, was that we don't really know for sure what the degree of undercount will be. They've estimated it at this much, but they don't know for sure. And so he's entitled, based on that kind of unknown, to say, given that that's unknown, and we have these other, you know, desires, you know, valid desires to want this information about um, about citizenship, you know, trading off an unknown. And 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 Breyer marshals a bunch of evidence indicating that well, there's a lot more. You know, there are always unknowns, but this is pretty known, right? And and you know what? I think and, it's funny because even if it even if the the chief and the secretary were correct that it's not not really known. Um, it seems to me that's not quite on point, right? It's like saying, oh, you know, don't worry about the flat tire we're about to get. We don't know exactly where the jagged nail is going to well, tear my not, tire open. I, well, well, yeah, we don't know exactly where it is, but we don't want the flat tire. But the issue is whether it's a jagged nail. I mean, I, th- I think it's reasonable to say that, you know, if, if the scientists at, at the Census Bureau had said, you know, adding this question, while there is a, a reasonable hypothesis that will depress response rates because people will be worried about disclosing, you know, in other words, legal immigrants who may often have illegal immigrants in the same household mm-hmm. will maybe not respond because they're worried about this. That's a reasonable hypothesis. However, we've done some testing here and there, and we can't demonstrate that yet. Like, it's possible. Right. It, it, a lot depends on context. It's, I think it's almost impossible to imagine the current socio-political context but right. but nonetheless it's possible um just so, so i think it, it, the secretary is entitled to say you know what this other thing i want to do is really valuable and this is a real unknown yes there's a hypothesis but we haven't yeah. been able to demonstrate that this hypothesis has you know a high chance of being true then that would be a reasonable trade-off I so think, what what if instead it were the difference between you know well the effect what if we were debating effect size so mm-hmm. it's you know th- this this these data here suggests that the problem will be at about a 4% level. These data over here suggest that it might be a 6% level. Right. What no one's talking about is that it's either a negligible problem or that we just can't locate it in terms of a, an order of magnitude. Yeah. Right. And, and bracketing, would, that, would that be enough to... Because you could always, right. of course, point to the fact that, well, you know, I think this thing over here is really important and I think it's important enough to not worry about the 2% difference between... Right. Right. Like it would be okay if it's only four, but not okay if it's six. Well, I get to make that call, right? Yes, and and I think that is, and I think that is not right. But I think the secretary does generally get to make that kind of call. I mean, once we've determined, we're once, we've, once we've determined that the census, uh, that the a census operation is not unconstitutional when it adds questions which will knowingly depress the enumeration. I mean, the long form census is okay. No right. one's challenging that. Right. And we know that we're going to have to go back and, you know, we'll have to make efforts, but we know that even our best efforts aren't going to be as good as if we just ask people how many people. Right. How many and people and I there. think that to say that it's arbitrary to point to a different statutory regime, which articulates a value it might be good to vindicate, 
if if there were no trade-offs at all to be made, right? And then to say to come back here and say, therefore, in in the face of knowledge that although we could debate around the edge what the effect size will be, we we know it's certainly mature. Like we wouldn't take five percent of the census forms and just shred them, right? Right. <laughs> like that, that's losing a but lot there of is information. A per- but there's a percentage we're willing to tolerate in order to obtain other data. Like once you say that the, the the enumeration clause doesn't impose an absolute obligation to achieve the highest possible uh, um, uh, a constitutional accuracy. obligation, correct? Right. But there's still a statutory obligation. Well, and we need to read these statutes together. Yes. Right? And although I think that Congress could articulate the statutes in such a way that it were clear within the frame of the Census Act itself that other values like the Voting Rights Act needed to be incorporated into your trade-offs in the Census Act. Um, it hasn't done that. Well, but... The, and, and maybe that too... It's, given, it's given the Commerce Department freedom to add, to add questions for, all, for lots of reasons. Sure. And it has established a procedure by which Congress can have time to act in response to those questions through this notification procedure. Sure. Um, they went through those. So, you know, absent the sociopolitical context here, I think it would be... A hard question about how much trade-off is the secretary allowed to make in terms of values where you know that the result will be some depression of response in exchange for something else and i think what we're what's at least what i know that i is easily kind of blinding me is that the thing that the secretary wants is bad <laughs> but but you know put that aside right for a second put that aside and it's a, it's a harder question now the evidence that you know um justice Breyer cites evidence um that when you look at, I think it was in the long form, because we have evidence, because this question has been in the long form. And I forget how he says it. I, I didn't go and look at the reference, but you can actually measure when people stop responding to some of these questions. And I forget if it was another context and they were able to see, like, when right. when do uh, immigrants typically stop? Because they answer questions. the ones before this, but not and after And they stopped this. on that. Right, that phenomenon. Or, or they decide not to respond at all after getting to that question. And right. Maybe they, I, I don't know how they track this, but that, that to me, and there wasn't a lot made of that. I mean, he mentions that in there, but doesn't kind of continue down that road. And that, to me, was the most compelling bit of evidence, that this was a particular question that would cause particular people not to respond for you know reasons which we right. can infer although if be, because if, justice roberts says well another reason people may not be responding uh, to to the long form with the citizenship questions because they don't respond to long forms and maybe immigrant populations respond at an even lower rate to long forms than right. non-immigrant populations because of the reasons that maybe people who have you know less contact with the government maybe socioeconomic maybe people who make less money tend to respond less uh, um, to these things. So it may have nothing to do with their immigrant status in this question. But then the best piece of evidence that it has to do with immigrant status in this question is that people stop responding when they get to that question. <laughs> but but it wasn't... It, but but the, that was just a one line, so I don't know the truth of that. And the funny thing about that, if that's the, if that's the thing on which the, the, one's answer would turn, is that it seems to me the, the Secretary Ross comeback would be, that's not a bug, that's a feature. Right. I'm it, it, if I'm allowed to vindicate the Voting Rights Act's need for better citizenship data so that we can figure out more precisely where to draw these majority minority districts under the Voting Rights Act. And that means we look at, you know, voting age citizen populations, mm-hmm. then it's not a problem that that's where they stop. Right. So I, I think although the Chief Justice might well, want to say we've got these other reason. concerns, yeah. but that's, that's not actually, that does, the, the Secretary is a perfectly good counter-argument if, it, if, it is, if we can credit uh, 
doing Voting Rights Act work using these census questions, right? I think it's you know, it's it's tough, and and what makes um, what makes this disagreement between Chief Justice Roberts and and Justice Breyer um, difficult is that there are inevitably once you have taken this view of the enumeration clause and Congress's broad grant of authority under the enumeration clause for what it is, there inevitably is going to be there are going to be values questions which are probably for the political appointees to resolve yes. in an open, transparent way. Yes, and. This one just looks like particularly egregious, which is why I think it's just really hard to disentangle. It is hard. The, what they've done here from the fact that we know that it was a lie. Even if you deconstitutionalize it, though, it seems to me that you, you and, and, and therefore, even if there are values questions that the, the political branch actors are going to resolve, it's still the constitutional command can still cast a shadow. Well, that's within that's, which all of this is being debated. That's my point. I think these three questions are very, you know, if you want to know why did people decide things the way they did, I think it has to do with the way that they that the, the way that they perceive the constellation of these three issues. Right. Do they really see them as because I mean you know the oldest trick in law ever is to is to separate things into their component parts and treat each as insubstantial right right um, so let's let's so so we got to get to so that's here. okay so 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 the majority says it's that this is um, not arbitrary or capricious because the reasons given in the secretary's memo are justifications for what has happened, which are acceptable under the administration right. procedure they're the, act. They're the right sort of the reasons. Administrative procedure. Reasoned about in the right way. Yeah. Um, if they were true. Well, this is the issue, right? So, so then, for a different majority, you're okay there. Uh, for a different majority, Chief Justice Roberts finds that the reason given was pretextual. And because it was not the real reason, um, sends it back. Right. Which is, I guess, another form of arbitrariness. It's not. It's not clearly said. Yeah. It, it is still talked about in administrative agency law terms, right? That in order to have meaningful review, what the agency tells us has to be the reasons. They don't have. It doesn't have to be the agency's only reasons. Now we know this, uh, is, but they have to yeah. be real. So the reason that he thinks it's pretextual, right, is because um, uh, of what the district court looked first at the full administrative record, and then ordered additional extra administrative record discovery, including depositions. The Supreme Court stepped in to prevent the deposition of Wilbur Ross. Right, although a bunch of documents were provided. Yeah, and these documents show, and there's some questions about, like, you know, and Chief Justice Roberts says that, they, that the district judge should not have ordered this extra record discovery when the district judge did, although when the district judge got the, the record evidence that, that that would have been sufficient to order it. So in the end, there was no harm, no foul, because <laughs> they would have gotten all these things anyway. Right. So, uh, but the emails and other documents indicate that um, uh, Secretary Ross was uh, working on adding this question to the census the very first week he got on the job. Now, it, it also is worth pointing out that there, there's yet another batch of stuff, information, documents, and stuff from a person who was very active in the redistricting efforts and both in, you know, gathering data and using those data and how to think about these issues, whose name I don't remember right now, Hofeller or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, so this is yet another wave of documents. And, and the Maryland and those documents are, has, yeah. has... And th- those are candid that asking this question would result in um, uh, a better representation, be- being able to draw better districts for Republicans. At least in, in this person's opinion, this, this would be a way, right, to right. 
achieve these results? Well, I think actually the documents refer repeatedly to Republicans and non-Hispanic whites. Yeah. So it's actually not just a, a political, as the political gerrymandering case. I think there's a racial element to what he said in these documents. Yeah. And that so this is the way that, that so the Maryland yeah. litigation's ongoing. This is stuff that the Supreme Court didn't talk about because it really wasn't fully packaged for them yet. Mm-hmm. But based on what they already had, it was clear that the earlier representation that this was about the Voting Rights Act. Um, probably was not accurate because it was Secretary Ross that reached out to DOJ to try to get a letter from them indicating that they wanted this question for that purpose, right? So it wasn't DOJ organically deciding, hey, you know, we re- we're having a problem here. And if we just knew at a block level how many citizens and non-citizens there were, we would be able to uh, uh, better administer the Voting Rights Act. Right. And, um, but rather... Secretary Ross charged a bunch of staff people trying to figure out how to get this question added, reached out to a number of agencies, including DOJ, and DOJ was receptive and said, yeah, we, we'll send you a letter saying that we want that question. Well, but then there are also emails that go along with that from, DOJ, from those, the people who wrote that memo saying, hey, we want this thing, saying, yeah, we don't really need this thing. <laughs> Right. So yeah. there's evidence that the- even the DOJ was not receptive at first. I think mm-hmm. that took some browbeating, but eventually um, he got it. Mm-hmm. And so the whole, the things to put on from basically from his first week on the job, as you said, um, yeah. Even though, so I mean, part of Justice Thomas's dissent here, right, is that this could open a can of worms where plaintiffs can come in and say, "Hey, you know, the agency, you said that this was your justification. It it's not on its face arbitrary and capricious, but you're lying. Give, give us all the evidence, and that this could be a whole revolution in how we do these things, and this is bad, blah blah blah." But the other thing he says in there, which was very mysterious to me, was that um, you could look at this, the, it's the administrative record evidence, and, and put together, um, I think he said like, like twine and, and, um, uh, and push pens or something like that. He, he referred to like conspiracy theorists, like crazy boards, you know, where you have this, yeah. this connects to that. That's, and it just seems to me like if this is like a conspiracy, it would be the least interesting TV show ever because it's like <laughs> one does not need like, you know um, – uh, uh um what is it uh dictionary brown what's the what's the sleuth who is it um encyclopedia, encyclopedia brown dictionary brown <laughs> my goodness <laughs> you don't have to be encyclopedia brown or or even whatever i am um to, <laughs> uh to figure out that there's uh that, that, how this happened yeah right um so i thought that was a little weird to to cast doubt on you know whether there was a conspiracy to get the question added that was not exactly on the up and up like, that's not the interesting question in this right. case. So you, you have competing uh, with the dissenters from this portion of the opinion, which flips from being Breyer and Pals to Thomas and Pals. You have these sort of competing, well, you know, what was really the put on here? And mm-hmm. what was really the put on is making it seems like Secretary Ross's behavior was put on. Um, yes. It, it, it was much more, um, so, so the part of it that I'm more sympathetic to, the dissenters here, um, I, I don't agree with it. Is that um, is the floodgates argument that you know sure. if you start looking under the you right. know under the curtain of the stuff you'll get a lot more people wanting to do that. And what but that suggests is that you need to be able to, uh, or you, it's probably a good idea to spend some time thinking about the sorts of signs that would suggest to you that this was another instance uh, worth looking more deeply. But also, I think the more general point is that. People have many reasons they do things, including administrators in the context of administrative law. Absolutely. And there may be many reasons why you do something. The fact that one of them is bad 
or that you don't like it, uh, or it could be considered arbitrary, or it's or that you have some reasons that you didn't disclose, like I have reason A, B, and C to do this thing, but I only told you about B and C. Um, like in, in in terms of a friend, if I had an undisclosed reason, that might make you upset, right? But in terms of administrative law, it's enough that I had reasons B and C, and um, inquiring too deeply into whether those were my most important reasons or real reasons would be like really bad. And that, in other words, what you should have to show is that your only reason was the reason that you lied about and that the reason you put forward was a total lie, right? And if you can do that, then maybe. But here, there's a perfectly good justification, and maybe there's a disagreement as to whether they're lying about it, but it seems to me clear that they're lying about it. So I don't, I don't know. What, what, you, you seem confused. I don't well, know. Well, you can't say, I mean, you can't say maybe they're lying about it and that, Look, it, it seems critical to the Chief Justice's opinion in Part 5, that final part, where he's saying, well, it's, it's not arbitrary when, when taken within its own terms mm-hmm. and put aside the question for a moment whether or not it's uh, real what was, instead of a pretext, yeah. right? Um, okay, now let's ask the question, is it a pretext? And that sort of has a process component. Is there enough of a good reason to believe it to have been a pretext so that this isn't something that happens in every single administrative law case from here on out? The fact that there were emails which actually said that this, we don't need this to administer the Voting Rights Act seemed to be very important here. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Um, and so, so if you get over the process scruple and, and so you're not worried about the force of the floodgates argument, right, that the floodgates issue is not really a serious concern which it seems to be part and parcel of mm-hmm. the five-person conclusion in part five, that this is properly, you know, uh, properly viewed as a pretext, proper both that it's okay for us to think about whether it's a pretext, and then having decided to think about it to conclude that it was in fact a pretext, um, that th- that entails the idea that the floodgates argument's not too important, um, either in this case or going forward in the, in the mine run of cases, um, which, by the way, I think is correct. That, that we are sufficiently able to discern the sorts of things that give rise to question, concerns about candor, concerns about, you know, these are really the reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that here it, it very clearly was a pretext. And as you say, it doesn't, you don't need to be a, a rocket scientist or, or you choose your cliche um, in, in order to figure that out. So, and, and it can't, and yeah. you can't let that stand. You can't allow an agency. It, it 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 destroys the entire meaning of reviewing for arbitrariness. To say you can have a set of reasons that are in and of themselves sound, but the entire thing is a fabrication that that doesn't relate to anyone's real. Well, interests this is the question here. of of do agencies need to be constrained to doing things which are merely justifiable? Or is, there, is the propriety of their actions judged by their real reasons? And those are two very different ways of looking at the kind of ju- judiciary's role in policing between the two other branches. And th- that seems to me to be the harder question here, right? And, and that also seems to be totally dependent on kind of sociopolitical context, right? I mean... And, and to invoke these kinds of larger concerns people have about the administrative state, right? If, if, if you're looking at an entity that has very few actual powers and they're, 
you know, they, they're limited to deciding whether they're going to do A or do B. The fact that choosing one or the other and the impacts are, are, are more limited, you know, finding that the decision they made was justifiable may be good enough, right? Um, but if you think that there are tools to do all kinds of mischief out there and the judiciary is, is playing a very critical role in kind of not cabining, but kind of guiding the working of democracy, like it, it, this interactive dialogic thing, right? Where, yes, we need to do this count. It involves very deep questions about democratic representation and about, you know, uh, and about kind of the everyday fear and freedom with which certain people live their lives. People, you know, whether right. they're refugees, whether they are undocumented immigrants, whether they're family of such people or whether they're citizens like you know it's a very kind of complicated social mix and to get this right we want people talking about this and exchanging their reasons and we want these different institutions with different incentives to play roles and that seems to me to be that idea seems to be undermined if one of those if all you insist on is a justification right that there be because i mean one thing you know, you so learn quickly going, in law is that there's always there's always an argument. I would go I would go a little further and say that uh, you know I'm not sure it really does turn on the degree to which you think that that it's either you know just choosing A or B or instead where there are all these tools to do all manner of harm because I think and and if and maybe this is sort of an uh, an, an Ethan and Jed and it's. Uh, the the fidelity folk mm-hmm. right the fiduciary government mm-hmm. theorists where you know and, and without buying all of whatever might come under the heading of the unitary executive hook line and sinker the notion of faithful execution of the laws seems to me to uh, beneficially be viewed as including a commitment to the idea that the reasons given are the reasons not maybe not all of them um but that that certainly you're not out and out lying about the basis for the action here's a thing i want to do i want to do it for reason x i know that reason x isn't is completely untenable it's completely impermissible and unsustainable. Therefore, what I need is reason why, which is, is enough of a fig leaf to get me over this hurdle, right? But what if you also had reason why? In other words, what if you were moved both by reason X and reason Y? Um, I, I think that's obviously a more complicated fact at one level, right? The fact that motives or, or reasons can be mixed reasons. Um, but I think you can't lie about them. So if you do have those reasons, I think it would be better for us to be struggling with the hard case where both were honestly disclosed and discussed throughout. Because then we could figure yeah. out what to do about the I fact guess. that I, one of them is permissible and one of them isn't. So, So I think that the... I just think the whole thing collapses if... You're like, yeah, feel free to completely fabricate stuff. Because most of the time we won't know. I think not inquiring into reasons and just requiring justifications is a luxury permitted by, uh, in a society where you think most people are animated by good faith. 
Well, but that's precisely right. my point. That and, good faith yeah. is is part and parcel of what's going on here. And 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 when you have and we've reason had that luxury. To, We've had that luxury, but, but it isn't just about luxury. It's about when you when you ha- look. If you have reason to think that there is something afoot, you have to figure out what's happening and react accordingly. So the, whether this is nineteen seventy seven or or twenty seventeen or whatever it might be, um, that's one concern. Now the fact that we're now living in an era where this is going to be happening a lot, because I think we are, mm-hmm. because. Because they lie all the time. Yeah, because they're a pack of liars. Right. Um, at the upper echelons of the administration. Um, yeah, that that's... Yes. So the question, like, what should the law do with pretext is becoming a very, very big topic these days because we've got sort of repeat offenders. And it looked like it was going to be a real problem. I mean, it looked like it was going to continue to be a, an unresolved problem after the Muslim ban case last term, right? Because... You know, there you had the the promise from the president of the United States to com- get a complete shutdown to Muslim immigration, and and there was cl- like he just wanted to win. He said, "Find out a way to get me in." So they revived this kind right. of old program, and they kind of put it. And in we'll new find out, and- right? They're still straining on this uh, on the census stuff in the census case proceedings, and so you know, do we really know whether John Roberts, uh, the Chief Justice of the United States, has the theory that you you need you need real reasons, or does he just have the theory that you need justifications? Of the, and that we are not aware that they are pretextual. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to find out because the administration continues to push. That's a system of trust, right? And and, um, and justification is good enough when that trust exists. And so, is this case an indication that his that he has lost trust? And in in which case, like you can't. That's no way to build a doctrine because you can't have a bunch of lower court judges, right. you know, reading his mind about when he trusts and when he doesn't. Right. Um, so it has to, you know, you, what you want is for this to be the very unusual exceptional case, but it seems to me <laughs> increasingly a very ordinary case in this administration, right. That people use available legal tools to do bad things right. and then lie about it. And, and what I think, and therefore, so as not to build a doctrine about uh, these individual human beings, either the chief justice or the president, that the the better reading of it would be to say that it, it is it, what matters is if there's a basis for a person reasonably to suspect that there is a, a pretext materially yeah, driving of, the outcome. And when there is, you try to get to the bottom of it. That has a real problem, though, doesn't it? Because... Um... You know, wherever there's going to be error wherever you set that line. Of course. And we have to have a civilization here, which means there's going to be error around the line no matter where the line is set. Correct. Um, Which is one reason why Breyer's slightly harder look analysis may be attractive. In in the arbitrariness phase. Yes. Yeah. Because then you, you know, it doesn't matter that he lied. Um, In fact, one of the purposes behind kind of um, suspect classes and, and, um, and, and arbitrary and capricious kind of analysis is like looking at, Hey, does this make any, you know, boy, you've made a distinction here, which makes me suspicious. And if I'm suspicious, I'm going to look more deeply. Right. And the fact that they added this question and it, and doesn't seem to have a really good reason to it. Maybe that's a reason to look more closely and look at this evidence more closely. And we'll kind of, kind of keep looking as our level of suspicion either keeps rising and it, it keeps rising and is not allayed by something that we find. I mean, there's, 
I don't know if that's the right judicial mode. That's one way of thinking about the tiers of scrutiny, right? It's something happens, whether it's the right. imposition of a burden on a fundamental right or a classification or an imposition of a burden on a class that is um, unable to protect itself as well in the democratic system. And all of a sudden you're like, you know, I need to look more closely at that. <laughs> and and so... But in the administrative law context, the other words, justice says reasons. that that's too technocratic because you wind up deferring too much to the people in an agency with expertise right. and too little... Uh, for the people who are making policy judgments at the top of the agency. Yeah. Right? So this goes back down, though. This goes. This case goes... Yes, exactly. This case goes back down. Um, Commerce Department says, you know what? We're, we're printing it. We had this June 30th deadline. We, we pushed this case to the Supreme Court on a fast track precisely because we can't possibly do the census on the right timeline if we right. can't get all this decided by June 30th. Yep. And it's off to the printers. We're not going to ask this question. We lost. And then Trump tweets. And then... The I think it's it, it, the district judge who's hearing the it's all the way back down in the district court says, whoa, what about this tweet? What's happening here? Right. And holds the most amazing hearing, um, a transcript of which is on was on Twitter the other day. I don't know how to I, I'm not going to have show notes today, but right, it's widely available. It's, wi- it's widely available where, where that's basically what's going on. And there are a number of really crazy things that happen here. One. Uh, the, the government asked for an extension past the July 4th weekend so that they don't have to have the hearing on Friday. And I don't know what happened on Friday, July 5th, actually. I haven't looked at the news about that. There was a, there was a hearing at 2 p.m. That, uh, on Friday, and uh, they, they were required to state definitively whether or what? not they were going to try to add a census question back. Yeah. Uh, and their statement was that they, that they are trying. That they are. But they weren't required to, like, defend that at this point. No, um, simply to indicate. Because this judge needs to figure out whether or not there's going to be discovery in this equal protection challenge to this question. And, of course, if the the question is not going to be on the census in any form, and we know that to a certainty because the Commerce Department has said we're not going to try to have it on the 2020 census period, right? Mm -hmm. Then the pace at which you engage in the discovery issue would be entirely different. What was fascinating about this, and I'm not going to get the language right, and uh, but the there was a part where the government, the the lawyer for the government acknowledges that, that basically their task may be to go back and find valid reasons for doing this, which seems to me crazy because it because what matters in these analyses are the policymakers reasons like that's what may be problematic here it's the policymakers reasons not the lawyers reasons like the lawyers have nothing to, you know the lawyers can help guide the right. policymaker here are some ways that you can do this thing or not do this thing so what but when the be- policymaker just says i want to do this thing you come up with reasons which will justify it and so that's what would not- be let's look at it from the other end of the telescope as it were what would be what would be a permissible way for this to have unfolded, a genuinely and legitimately permissible way for this to, to have happened? If, if a commerce secretary had said, you know, we used to ask about citizenship. We haven't been doing it lately on the short form that everyone gets universally. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious about why not, because it seems like a reasonable question to me to ask. I mean, we used to ask it. Um, so can someone, let's look at that. Let's look at whether or not that question should return. Right. Like, cause we used to do it. We don't do it now. And I kind of don't understand why, because it seems reasonable. So let's study that. Right. Yeah. And 
then the the people in the Census Bureau would would engage in a study. Be like, well, yes, here's all the information about what we used to ask, the context we used to ask it. We we actually still are asking it in a different context. Here's what here's what some of the benefits might be of putting that question back in place. And those here benefits, are some of the harms that those might come. benefits relate to other agencies. And so the the secretary reaches out to those agencies and said, "Hey, we've done the study. Would happen, you be interested right? in this?" And they say, "Yes, we would be." That actually solves a problem that we have. I mean, yeah, yeah. So you can, I mean, you, you can, can come up with a story where this would be a natural function of government trying to solve ordinary problems. Yeah. And, and but my at story a, began with the Secretary of Commerce who was was you know disposed to think that a reasonable thing to do was to ask the citizenship question Mm -hmm. was that person like we used to do that why don't we do that anymore yeah that would be fine that's a like a that's it seems to me a person could think that and that seems like a preference right Uh, because you can't ask about everything every day you got to make choices in life so why, Secretary, did you decide to pursue that thing you'd been wondering so can about they not, of some This other is the thing. same problem that they ran up into uh, that, that I think a lot of people had in the Muslim ban case. And that's, okay, so, so the president is a bigot, right? Because <laughs> the, the president says, you know, that he wants to shut down Muslim immigration. He talks about Mexican right. immigrants being, you right. know, Canada rapists. Trump and, does, right, yeah, says these things. All these things. And so, like, it can't be that the fact that he said those things and it's evidence and uh, that they can never enact policies which may be at all harmful to those groups. Like, lots of policies are harmful to lots of groups all the time. Right. And just and good government is going occasionally to be more beneficial to some groups than to other groups. Of course. And including war and peace, right? I mean, you know, taking measures to enforce, like, border restrictions or to wage war somewhere. Like, I'm not even going to get into that and as to whether I think that's ever justifiable or not. But just putting that to one side, I mean, presidents have to make decisions that will be harmful sometimes uh, yep. to particular people. And can it be that the president can never take such decisions if the president has said things in the past which label him or her or which could be labeled uh, as bigoted? Um, because under this analysis of, well, what are your real reasons? Well, we can see what your real reasons were because you said you wanted to shut down immigration uh, uh, by uh, all Muslims. And now you've got this thing. And we understand that the reason it's watered down a little bit is precisely because we're going to inquire into the reasons. And you've tried to make them, right. you know, people have tried to engineer something that will get you the political win that you want at the expense of these uh, these uh, vulnerable people. So in that in that dispute, it seems like the pretext was successful. Yes, it That's was one way to react to but, that. But case. but a, but a, but a kind of fundamental problem is um, if if you say that um, it's going to be difficult to know in situations where you've already concluded that the president is predisposed to animus, right? That's going to come up in every case in which there is a harm to the group against which the president harbors big, harbors bigoted views. And the and the pro- the problem goes beyond, of course. Um, presidential decision-making and administrative decision-making. So, for example, in the whole Women's Health Against Hellerstedt case about the the state statutes that are designed to close down abortion clinics in the name of regulating them yeah. as hospitals or other healthcare centers. Um, this is the whole women's health case. Correct. Whole yeah. Women's Health Against Hellerstedt. Yeah. And the, there, the court saying, you know, this is a pretext. Um so, so the questions, but of they pretext, do it by more traditional constitutional analysis, where you look at the means chosen and you see whether there's a fit with the end, right? Rather than looking at email, I, although I don't know if in that case whether they had 
evidence of true intent or not. There might have been legislator statements that made it clear why right. the things were being targeted. In but the they're the they means, were. you know, requiring the ambulatory surgery center. Yeah. We're so far removed rationally from any end you might have that it was, right. you know, it was absurd. But, so it was easy on traditional grounds, even though, like, you're, that's the whole issue here. Like, your effort at, at looking at that means and fit, right, is whether this justification. Like, one of the reasons you might be interested in justification is that you don't want people to act for reasons of animus, Right, that, that, that using the tools of government to hurt because you hate, right? Mm-hmm. That, that is the basic like, due process violation, the basic equal protection violation, right? It's, it's kind of taking the tools of government and using them as weapons against people who can't protect themselves or to dispossess people at the expense of your friends, that sort of thing, right? right. So it's like it, law in some ways is always concerned about reasons, but being directly concerned with reasons is sometimes problematic, <laughs> because we're doing, we're trying to do some mind reading, and that opens up its own problems from yeah. the perspective of the judiciary. And so we <laughs> often talk at the level of just mere justification. I mean, if the justifications are so lacking, then we strike it down. But why do we strike it down? I think because the because the justifications are so uh, uh, wispy and foolish and ridiculous that we conclude that there were bad reasons, that there was a bad motive afoot. I think that is the basic move. And the and the law is also uh, shot through with questions of intent making all of the difference in the world. So the, um, although it might feel as if we're, you know, embarking on some sort of dangerous exercise, if we s- say, well, you know, the validity of that legislative act or that executive act turns on the intent with which it was undertaken, mm-hmm. right? That's, oh boy, I don't know. Uh, well, but wait, intent makes huge difference but, all the time. But that's why this falls apart when you have a, um, when you have a president or, or any other, you know, official who um doesn't have that good faith who who wants to be in other words whose basic desire is to enact the very harms that the constitution is set up to to stop right like then you like you know you, you there can there will always be justifications because we you know we're in a world where you can always advance justifications for things you know if you're clever enough um so there will always be something and so how do you go about Restraining. I mean, without, you know, you can use strict scrutiny, but that things always fail. I mean, so this is kind of a, this seems to me a, a very unusual case because Justice Roberts isn't willing um, or doesn't want to use the tool of kind of hard look justification with enough scrutiny to deal with this problem. Right. Instead, de- deals directly with the trust issue in a way that, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of just thinking out loud and it's, it's really like a shot across the bow. Like, you know, um, well, well, again, we'll see. I mean, we'll see to the extent to which uh, it because, as you say, if 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 what the Commerce Department is currently trying to do is to come up with another piece of paper to patch over this gaping problem. Right. Uh, well, it, if, if we're really being serious about the 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 need for good faith. Yeah. Um, then no amount of, like, you could get a ream of paper and yeah, but it's not going to work, right? Basically what they've said they were doing, right, is to engineer a new justification. And it may be a better justification for all of them. Maybe it is a much better justification. But it doesn't seem to, unless that new justification is the secretary's reason, it doesn't cure Justice uh, Chief Justice Roberts' problem, right? Right. N- nor, nor should it. Now, everyone should always read Marty Lederman's posts at Balkanization anyway, but... Mm-hmm. They should especially read the one that I think is from today, 
um, or maybe it's yesterday, about the fact that, you know, look, you could, you, I guess another way to try to do this would say, well, all right, and, and this is also uh, consistent with some of the president's remarks, although I think not on Twitter, but instead on the White House lawn on the way to Air Force uh, One, excuse me, uh, Marine One, um, that, look, this is about trying to ensure that uh, we can allocate the number of representatives that a state gets based on citizenship. Mm-hmm. This is the so-called even-well gambit. Um, so, so it's not about the Voting Rights Act and the way we draw districts within a state. It's, it's about figuring out how many members of Congress each state will get no matter where their districts are drawn, right? And we want to do that by the number of citizens, not by the number of persons without regard to citizenship. And if, and that sounds more like what they actually do want to do, right? That sounds like it's closer to the truth of the matter from the get-go. Uh, and... It, if that's legally permissible, and it seems to me there's a question mark over whether that's legally permissible, um, then won't that succeed? Because now it won't be a pretext, right? Uh, And then it's just a matter of, okay, did you take the time to comply under the APA with the requisite administrative stuff? So did you see that which raises the problem about this June 30th thing having been perhaps another fabrication. It's all fabrications. <laughs> it's all fabrications. And well, but, but the reason why that, that second one is like kind of important is because the judiciary has now been pulled into the fabrication. If the June 30th deadline thing was put on right. um, uh, to some greater or lesser degree, well, but everyone's now been acting in reliance on that very specific put on. Yeah, uh, is, and, and judges yeah. usually do not like being pulled into your reindeer games in that fashion. And so we don't know whether they'll balk at that. But it's a mess, for, to be sure. It's contemptuous. But the other, the other thing that's happened is the, the lawyers working on the case have been replaced. Did you see this? At the DOJ, At yes. the DOJ. And so I, I don't know if it's the same lawyer and team who made the representations to the district judge, but I think that it is. I think, I, and I, I don't read any more into it necessarily than that they were replaced. Maybe it's because they refused to advance a pretextual reason. Maybe it's uh, who knows exactly. Right. Um, so this is a matter that's going to keep, you know, I don't think we'll know the ultimate uh, resolution here for a while. Dahlia Lithwick wrote a nice thing about this too. Um, that people should read. Um, it came out, I think it was today. Maybe it was earlier in the weekend. I saw it today. But uh, you know, this is just part of a. It feels different, precisely because of the socio-political context here, which is a is it seems to be a concerted um, reign of abuse thrown at immigrants. Yeah. And um, including, you know, absolutely, you know, horrific acts of depravity at the border. Uh, yes, with, uh, with children, but um, but really with with adults and all people. I mean, all these conditions. And I don't care how far they go back. I don't care if they go back to the prior administration at all. But there is a concerted effort now, right? And I don't think it's possible to see this outside that. And and the, kind of the hope of law was that there would be this rationalistic enterprise 
that could tease issues apart and look at them analytically one at a time and ask whether whether reason justifies governmental action A or B. And I think pulling them apart only obscures what the real violation here is here, this core violation of our compact as a people, right? That, um, that we um, are based in, you know, individual liberty coming together for the collective to achieve a better us. And the idea that you would seize the reins of government and use the, these coercive tools to injure people, right, to, um, to deny them really basic rights. Like, I don't see how you can... This, this case is that in miniature, right? How do you pull apart the command to right. enumerate, the command to have justification, and the command to be candid? Like, those go together in this case, it seems to me, right? They, they, it makes it, the fact that they were not candid is, is, is a stronger point precisely because it was aimed at undermining the enumeration. Mm. And I think that the, uh, in a way, the, what the fiduciary government folk ha- have identified for a few years now, oops, I keep knocking this thing. Um, sorry about this that. You're just hurting our listeners ears. That's all. Yeah. Um, so what, what they, all what that they, stays in in season two, what they have been pointing to is this notion or this, uh, this concept of good faith, uh, fiduciary duty, fidelity, good faith in the performance of a range of things in this context, yeah. it's your, your duties as a, a government officer, as a pup, as an officer of the public uh, and a public official, right. Um, that, th- that, that concept keeps these things knitted together. That is a way that in which we can say within law itself, there is a, a, a requirement that we not dissect things so that we lose our ability to comprehend the, the, the living f- thing that's happening, that has been happening. And it, there are areas of law where that is very close to the surface, right? The, yeah. the um, fiduciary law principles in corporate law and some other places uh, where courts are quite comfortable talking explicitly about that, that those sets of principles and using them to adjudicate legal disputes, we don't have that same facility in the context of public administration currently, uh, at least not within the national sort of framework of the last... Sort and of- it's a point about trust and co-equal branches, right? I mean, that, so, it's, so it's, I think it's easy to say and correct to say that elected officials and the people appointed by elected officials have a fiduciary responsibility. In other words, there's, there is some purpose um, uh, that they, uh, there are some purposes that they are charged with aiming toward, right? And, and it's about serving others and not themselves. And it's about serving others according to these principles. And they are accountable to those principles and they should be. That I think is all to the good and all, right. I, I, was, I don't want to say it's easy to say, I think it's correct to say, it's harder to know what a judge is supposed to do when, when confronted with breaches of these things. In some cases, it's easier. In some cases, it seems to me really difficult. I, I think that's quite well said. And uh, at the same time, I think a, a potential problem or potential risk is that our, our, our comfort with concepts of check and balance mm-hmm. and... A, a sort of Madison or Federalist Papers idea of, you know, ambition checking ambition, 
yeah. sort of formulation. Um, you, you can forget that one of the things you can hold the other actor to account for is a lack of good faith. Yeah. Right. That it just because we're being set against each other as checks doesn't mean the person who designed the system assumed we would all be acting in bad faith or assumed we could all be indifferent to whether or not we were acting in good faith. That mm-hmm. actually, quite to the contrary, <laughs> the executive is explicitly required to act in good faith. Um, that's, that's woven into the, of the very basic, co- literally the constitution of the executive power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's certainly fair enough in thinking in oath-taking terms and the statutorily prescribed oaths for other officials, right? Um, and, the, and in a sense, the very notion of constituting a body politic, right? Uh, it's, it's part of constituting yourself that, you, that good faith is sort of woven into it from the get-go in, in, in some way that has to be meaningfully instantiated in ongoing disputes. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean it's easy. As you say, it could be very hard for a judge to know what to do when confronted with a malefactor. Well, I, ha- I have to say, uh, one thing I forgot to say when we were talking about the, the, the aftermath of this case, um, I think I pointed it out on, on, on Twitter, but the, the fact that, that the lawyer for the government said, you know, I'm not sure what's happening. They appear to want us to do this. And we understand our role now is to go and look at possible justifications. Was... Um, uh, I didn't mean to say that that they were acting wrongly or crazily. I think they were very clearly conscious of the fact that this would lose the case for them to let the judge know that they were going to try to come up with a pretext, right? Um, but that it was, you know, is that how, is that the, forget the president for a second, but is that the, the proper role of a government employee in, in such times to say, okay, I've been ordered to do this. Um, it's not illegal, but I'm going to tell you, judge, this is what I'm doing. And I know that, it will lose the case for us. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, so there, there was, there was, um, I think it was Dan Hemmel on Twitter was Daniel Hemmel was saying that, um, uh, that they were throwing the administration under the bus. And, and I proposed that an alternative explanation was that, um, uh, that they were kind of interpolating between their role related obligations, right. And their duty of candor to the court. And in a very interesting way by saying, yes, we've been ordered to do this. I know yeah. we'll lose the case. But. And I don't know, I don't know enough about their statements or how considered their statements were or how much time they had to consider their statements. Yeah. To, to, uh, I think the much more Im- important and telling thing in a way is at that hearing when the lawyer was at great pains to say, when we were here yesterday and we were telling you what we understood the case to be yesterday, right. we were doing our best to be completely honest and forthright with you yesterday. Right. <laughs> so, so the lawyer is trying to signal that that lawyer understands the vital importance of candor, mm-hmm. unfailing candor and integrity before a judicial tribunal. And the fact that the, 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 the sort of maelstrom of crazy around the president, the president's tweets, his objectives, how they might align or not align with the court's orders, right? That the the line lawyer who's there trying to practice law effectively according to all the appropriate standards, mm-hmm. e- including ethical standards, um, understands that. It's telling you, look, I understand I'm here to tell you the truth. 
and I've been trying to tell you the truth, and I'm going to continue yeah. to try to tell you that. Uh, that that to me was much more interesting than if if they said the next day, look, we understand we've been given a directive to find a lawful way to return the census question to uh, to return the citizenship question to the census, right? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, maybe there isn't a lawful way, and that is ultimately what you will conclude. Right. So I don't want to put too much on. Yeah. Like, did we say we've we've been directed to come up with another justification? Yeah. As if they are saying we've been we've been ordered to violate the law. So we're just here to let you know we've been ordered to violate the law. That's not what they said. Yeah. We don't know. We need to end soon. Okay. Let's end now. Well, not I got one more question for you. And I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm hungry to the point of being lightheaded, so I feel like nothing I'm saying makes sense anymore. Okay. But um, th- there's no reason in the show. Did you not have lunch? That's no reason in the show. I did, but like I, I'm a little bit behind on my calories today. Oh, I think. Okay. Um, this so the the theory that maybe the president could do this by executive order, which I think was originally floated by some liberal law profs, maybe. Maybe it was. I'm not sure. Um, this is like, you know, watch out. This case isn't over yet. I think um, ma- I, I think the executive order thing came from Leonard Leo, the head of the Federal Society. But well, and it was uh, Ludic was saying that you could do this as well. Oh, okay. uh, so, uh, but I think there were also some other people who were suggesting yeah, I don't hey, know. I don't, this case isn't so over. So what's your question? So do you know anything about this theory? Like, I, this doesn't seem to me to solve the problem. Uh, I know, the I know order, very little about it. Yeah. What I heard the executive order would say on one of these person's recommendations is simply, you know, to to the full extent uh, permitted to me under Article Two of the Constitution, I hereby direct that this question be added. I, I, I have no earthly idea what they think they're accomplishing, why they would think that would accomplish anything, um, which doesn't mean that it wouldn't accomplish it. It just means I have no earthly idea what they're talking about. Yeah, I, I, so, I have yeah. no comprehension of what that could possibly be. People have written about it, and so, but I have why not, that could be. I've useful. not read those writings, and so I don't know. I'm. This is why I'm not making any sense right now. But uh, it does. It seems to be you know so executive orders generally are not subject to the strictures of the APA, at least in the same way. And I forget exactly all of the cases which establish this, but. Um, but they're not immune from reasons, right? From from inquiring into reasons, especially if there's like an equal protection violation or or, or perhaps a violation of the enumeration clause directly. Well, they're also not immune from. from what? They're also not immune from the com, from common sense, right? You've got there is a census act, which well, no, which tells us. Well, how this is what I was asking because I didn't know whether the claim was that that the president had inherent authority as executive as a uh, commander in chief. You know how they always bring this one out, right? To try, for national security reasons to ask this question or something like that, which would be a new kind of reason on me. Um, or if it was just like trying to evade the APA by by implementing the um, Census Act directly through the president. And I don't know which of those. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on with it. Neither, neither do I. Um, it sounds like a bunch of nonsense. To me, sitting here right now without having read a bunch of people's descriptions about it. So we'll probably like read this afternoon and it'll, it'll make a lot more sense. I'm sure I'll be completely persuaded. Yeah. We we live in dark times, Joe. And then next week we will hear that yes, that the on an emergency petition, the Supreme Court has blessed the uh, president's uh, directive under Article 2. And that's the other thing we didn't quite bring up. I think that that what was one critical <laughs> I think if the Supreme Court despite all that had come out with this the the, the new emails from the um the uh, strategists that that uh, posthumously came out. Uh, but even if you just look at what was available in the district court, like ensuring that the Supreme Court not become a laughingstock 
not just like preserving the integrity of the court, but like there comes a certain point where it's like laughable if you uphold these things on the ground stated. Right? Yeah, this is getting a Hogan's Heroes, Colonel Clink, and Schultz quality to it. Right, where where they they say one thing, they make a representation, you write an opinion upholding it on those grounds, but everybody knows that's not true. Like, at at some point, there has to be some backbone to the court in evaluating these reasons, unless they're just candidates. It doesn't matter what the reasons are. Either it matters what the reasons are, or it doesn't. Or, Or it doesn't, right. All right. Bye. Stop.